It's time for Inside the Gamecocks, the show with Phil Mullinax and J.C. Sherbert. So, how many of you would say you speak English fairly well, but with some difficulty? Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. You play to win the game. Now, let's take it away, J.C. and Phil. Inside the Gamecocks, the show, J.C. Sherbert, Phil Mullinax here with you. On a Thursday, sorry about yesterday, under the weather situations around uh, multiple parts, and uh, we're back with you. Uh, hope everybody is well out there. Got an action-packed show today. Three guests coming on today. We got uh, Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up show joining us bottom of this hour for his weekly high-energy segment. Nick, Nick Caparelli from Bowl Season. I think that's kind of a new uh, a rebranded uh, bowl game group or, or whatever. Uh, anyway, he can explain it. We're going to talk a little bit about the Gamecocks, where they may fit in in some of these games. Also, the health of bowl games, because that's actually something that, um, you know, is a big topic around college football. People talk all the time about how the bowl games are going to die with the expanded playoff and all this other stuff. Uh, if you ever talk to Mike Morgan, who's actually in the TV business about it, he says, no, no, no. They get higher ratings than college basketball games. Uh, in the uh, in December, um, so I guess there's a lot of people gambling and just watching college ball no matter what uh, during December and all that. And TV, as we all know, drives it. Used to be bowl games would have TV partners and stuff. Heck, some of them. Were, I remember South Carolina played in the Liberty Bowl in '88. That bad boy was on USA Network. <laughs> remember USA? USA? <laughs> remember, Car- remember Cartoon Express? Yes. So yes. Uh, you know that bad boy was on. Yeah, USA. <laughs> Uh, and, 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 you know, mobile games had TV partners and things like that, but ESPN and, and the growth of all that uh, really is what drives it. That's why uh, you see ESPN actually taking ownership of most of these bowl games, and they have a lot to do with it. Today's poll question is related to bowls, uh, and it's on uh, Twitter, on thebigspur.com, and also here on our YouTube page. Best bowl win for Carolina between 2011 and 2014, is it? The 2014 Independence Bowl against Miami, 2013 Citrus Bowl against Wisconsin, 2012 Outback Bowl against Michigan, or the 2011 Citrus Bowl against Nebraska. That was a tough one for me, Phil. Mm. Uh, I was at two of those. Uh, I was in California for the Outback Bowl when the hit happened, and I was in San Antonio, Texas uh, for the – Oh, the last Citrus Bowl. But I was at the Independence Bowl in 2014 when they beat Miami. And uh, also, uh, you know, was at the Citrus Bowl in 2011. Got to see that Alshon Jeffrey catch at the end of the uh, first half, which really facilitated a big second half of the game. Guys, Gamecocks defense dominated the Cornhuskers that day. Uh, and so I thought that was kind of, kind of a good deal there. It was pretty awesome. So uh, it's kind of a tough choice. I, I think – if you're looking for just like big plays and memorable plays, uh, the Outback Bowl in 2012 uh, had the hit. And then what gets overlooked about that game because of the hits, Dylan Thompson hitting Bruce Ellington with what, five seconds left for the game winning touchdown? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just an amazing, amazing game. Uh, but then, you know, in, in that Citrus Bowl against Wisconsin, Connor Shaw went off. They ran that, uh, what are the, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Philly special play? Uh, you know, all that. The Citrus Bowl in 2011, Carolina had lost, I think, three straight bowls going into that one. Uh, beating a team like Nebraska always is cool. Um, 
And then the Miami one, I, I thought, you know, there weren't a lot of people there. It was in Shreveport, but it was on ABC, national television. And, and I thought the Gamecocks really, you know, kind of played as good a defense as they did all year. And then once Spurrier took over the play call and in the second quarter, the Gamecocks had some big plays to Farrow Cooper. So all of them were memorable right now. Uh, that Outback Bowl is winning uh, on the Big Spur and on Twitter. So about 70%. So uh, yeah. there you go with that one. Um, so we're going to talk a lot uh, today about all that. Uh, but before we get started, that bear with me today, folks. Uh, happy birthday. 247th birthday, Phil, of the United States Marine Corps. I know we got some Marine Corps. Yeah, some Marines here. Semper Fi. Uh, thank you for your service. Um, 247 years ago in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, mm. the Marine Corps was born. Um, football, of course, Florida this weekend. We're going to talk a lot about that with Jamie Bradford and Chris Phillips coming up. Uh, Gamecocks, last I checked, eight and a half point underdogs at the Swamp. Uh, a little, uh, I guess, on the article for the show today uh, on the J.C. and Morgan podcast on Tuesday, uh, Mike kind of broke down some things about uh, the game. He's watched a lot of Florida this year. Uh, I guess the consensus is keep Anthony Richardson in the pocket. Yeah, I heard Mike say. I was like, well, yeah, that's that's what we're all kind of feeling. Good things will happen. And then I, I kind of talked about it, it, on my little banter there that game guys need to get on the other side of the ball, get the ball in the hands of their playmakers like Juice Wells, Jaheim Bell. Uh, Beamer had some interesting comments about Marshawn Lloyd. Uh, uh, I thought with kind of the way things looked at the beginning of the week, Marshawn wasn't going to play. Now I'm kind of up in the air. Haven't heard from, you know, contacts when you, when you talk to them. Usually if a contact's not going to say, he's not going to tell you one way or the other about these injuries these days um, until maybe game day, they'll, they'll, they'll tell you. Maybe game day, they'll tell you. Uh, you know, like, like I, got, I, I didn't even report this, but, uh, there was a rumor going around that, that Spencer Rattler wasn't going to start at Vandy. Uh, and so I was able to get some information on that last Friday night, but that's about <laughs> it. Um, Nana's Porch chat box. Brian's in first. Morning, fellas. Craiger says, missed you guys. Uh, and uh, then the basketball team. I, I'm going to address this real quick because uh, the basketball team did start on Tuesday. We had not a show since then. thought the basketball team looked decent for game one with the roster they've got. Continue to be impressed by Lamont. And his pressers. That game was probably a lot closer than we think, but you know, South Carolina State is in such transition. They hired a coach in June. He kind of cobbled together a roster. You really, I really don't know what to think about. I mean, you never know. They may be pretty good this year. They played, I thought SC State had a lot to be proud of with how they played, but I also thought, thought a, a kind of uh, new Gamecock team with some young players and Really, some you know, some new faces playing with each other for the first time. Uh, you know, I, I thought they were kind of resilient. You could have lost. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. uh, there, there's been games like that that have gone against the Gamecocks uh, in previous years, and you know, Carolina held on to win eighty to seventy-seven. Uh, Hayden Brown, twenty-one points. Burns High School Rebel. Mm-hmm. Go I was impressed with his play, man. It was like, uh, you Dude. know, when they were going to some press, man, he was he was breaking that stuff open. I guess because they weren't accounting for him, and then you know went dropped back into a zone there later. But he, he, uh, 
it was scary, man, because their three started dropping. I'm like, oh hell, here we go. Yeah, here we go. Here <laughs> we go. Game two. I'm like, great, good time yeah, to get hot. <laughs> they got a t- and it's kind of funny because Frank Martin used to talk about this all the time, and but this is the case with them. That ball screen defense, they need to tighten that up a little bit before tomorrow night. Um, but uh, all in all, uh, you know, Hayden Brown, 21 points. Gigi Jackson had a double-double in his debut, including two for two from three. Yeah. You can see why, Phil, he is one of the best recruits in the country. I, I mean, I he just – yeah, he, he looked great up there. I was happy to see him get his double-double. And, you know, I know he's just – he's building a case for, you know, his lottery pick next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all know what what the story is. But, hey, glad he chose to do it here, man. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I think Michi Johnson, the transfer point guard for Ohio State, I think as he goes sort of – right now, it seems as he goes, the team will go um, – Chico Carter surprisingly did not shoot all that well. He usually mm-hmm. does. Um, but I'll say this, and you wouldn't believe it. I got on the what the ESPN predictor thing for the Clemson game tomorrow night. Uh, according to their calculations, Gamecocks have a fifty-five percent chance of winning. I'll take it yeah, at home against the Tigers. You know, yeah, Gamecocks need to. You know, it, it's not Clemson's not a powerhouse in basketball. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, neither are the Gamecocks. But man, oh man, you know they beat Carolina. Uh, I guess Frank won up there the year after the Final Four. Uh, but they beat Carolina's Final Four team. Cedarius uh, was out that game, but they beat him 62-60 in Columbia. Brad Purnell's had the Gamecocks number, uh, just like Oliver Purnell before him. Mm-hmm. So South Carolina, uh, who I think Clemson is something like 18, 19 games up in the series since Frank McGuire left South Carolina. Uh, Gamecocks need to win this game. I mean, you know, if they can. Now, uh, I never put much stock in the ESPN predictor. Uh, I think it's a lot of, I don't know. I don't know what data they use. I'm, I'm not a big data guy because you got to go play the game. But to see that, that means, you know, the computer somewhere uh, is higher on Carolina than Clemson at this point. Clemson beat Citadel 80-69. to 69. It was a similar kind of too close to comfort game. Uh, for mm-hmm. them uh, up at Little John. And, you know, and I know college basketball starts too early, but I wanted to mention that and get that out of the way uh, just before, you know, because we're going to ask Chris a little a basketball question or two and also Jamie Bradford. Um, and then we'll talk more about it tomorrow because uh, tomorrow night, Gamecocks play Clemson. Everybody go get your tickets, man. Uh, that, that, I, I didn't expect a huge crowd for SC State, although normally it is. But that's what you get for playing basketball on election night, right? <laughs> um, you know, people people are doing other things. Uh, but uh, I, I think I think it needs to be a good crowd for Clemson. I think I think that would help uh, a lot. And you know, the Tigers will bring some fans down too. It's a Friday night game. Um, uh, Seth says, "Good morning, guys." Uh, the Macadino podcast chimes in. Morning, fellas. Why are almost everybody that covers college football talking about the Gamecocks defense being bad? when Florida has the second-worst defense in the SEC and is behind Vandy? Um, well, uh, I think uh, it's recency bias, maybe. I was going to say, your inability to really stop the run in the past couple of games, knowing that that's how Florida is going to try to attack it. I mean, you know, it's it's the one kind of weakness everybody's looking at. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I, I personally feel like the defense can have a rebound game. Uh, oh, but I also feel like Florida's good enough on offense. They're going to put points on the board. So you can't go down there and expect to win 10-3 to three, 
especially with the the way Florida's playing defense, that would be very, very embarrassing. Or, or to quote uh, Office Space, that would be bad. Very bad. <laughs> very bad. That <laughs> is very, very bad. Um, you know, Carolina's got to get it in the hands of their playmakers and score points. And uh, I think the defense, as long as they tighten up a bit, get back to that level, you know, the Kentucky level, the, you know, the, the Texas A&M level, the three, the last three quarters against Missouri. I mean, you're going to get up yardage. Richardson's going to get his plays in the red zone. You got to hold him to field goals. You got to force turnovers, uh, that kind of thing. Special teams always will be a helpful thing if you get a big play there. Um, and, and so that's the deal there, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand that narrative that I guess people have seen the South Carolina offense struggle and they're like, well, now the defense is bad, you know, just because of that Vandy. And look, let, let me just say this about the defense. They've had they had bad games against Arkansas and Georgia. Didn't have a bad game, had a bad quarter, really, against Missouri. Not a bad game, a quarter. Uh, and then they had a bad game at Vandy. I don't know what happened at Vandy. <laughs> uh, maybe it's because, you know, somebody uh, said that the field was maybe slick with the field turf and they were slipping, but – you know, something just wasn't – something was off in that football game with the way Vandy was able to move it. Um, but I, I think these guys are certainly a better defense than, than what they showed there. Uh, you know, if you look at the totality of the season, you you, you, you know, um, Florida is number tied for first in the conference in turnover margin. Uh, so I, I don't know if they're going to turn it over. Um, so, so you have to stop them. You have to get it off the field. And, and you know, you, I get because they struggle with Vandy, this feels like a game where you go, well, like K.J. Jefferson before him or uh, name your quarterback before that that has that kind of skill set. He's going to destroy Carolina. But, you know, look, man, A&M's not very good on defense either. You know, and, and I, 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 I do think Richardson had a good game at A&M. And I think he was – he really kind of came on second half against Georgia too. But, um, man, he's been up and down. He's been up and down. So uh, we'll see kind of what happens. I do think the game guys have to put points on the board uh, and be consistent on offense to have a shot. Um, but a lot of teams have been really good against the Florida uh, offensively that they, and when they're not, they're not normally. So we'll see what happens. I look at that LSU game, Phil, and I, I see Daniels had kind of a breakout game uh, against them. And you, you kind of hope maybe last week, set the table for Spencer Rattler to go out there and, you know, make some things happen. Or maybe the Decaria Joiner package comes back. Uh, I think regardless of Marshawn Lloyd being in the game healthy or not, you still need to, to kind of run that style of offense. I mean, uh, where you, you're attacking the perimeter with runs, making them defend the entire field. That's only going to open things up for Marshawn Lloyd. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going to have to spread them out too because speed is not something that Florida is lacking on that side of the ball. Mm. So the if you've got everybody bunched in there close, then you're just asking for trouble. Yeah, it's crazy. It's uh, it's one of those things. Jared says Court Cox have some positives, but depth is not on their side. Yeah, I mean, you got like guys like Zach Davis and Hank and Sanford. I mean, those are those are freshmen. Um, you know, Josh Gray I thought looked improved. I, I think he can get even better. But you're right. This is not a terribly deep team. And when Johnson went out at point, that's when things kind of slagged. Uh, VJ says, what's going on, gang? Don't fear the logo. Florida is beatable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, if, if, if Florida if, – if Carolina were going to play like Mississippi State and they had – or Ole Miss and, or, and they had similar results, I think people would be like, oh, well, 
I think we'll be expecting a good victory. But it's the swamp and it's the Gators. And dude, you saw after they beat Utah the tremendous amount of hype around that program for a week. Yeah. Boy, oh my God, Richard says one of the Heisman Napier is going to be turning. This is why you, yeah, Florida's it, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah it back. was all in there. Guess yeah, who's back, mm-hmm. back yes. again. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then all of a sudden, Kentucky popped that balloon pretty good. Uh, and then you know, it's been kind of funny since Napier's been there because they've been, you know, they hired Napier because, or they fired Mullen because they say because of recruiting. I kind of think. With Mullen, it's that old adage that if you're a butthole, you better be good at your job. Yeah, you got to be the best. Because <laughs> if, if you if, if that's fine as long as you're good at your job, but if not, you're getting fired. Uh, and so I think that's the deal there. Um, but uh, they fired Mullen allegedly because of recruiting, and then twice this year they've lost recruits to Miami that they thought they had to the point where with Cormani McLean, the, the cornerback from Lakeland of all places that went to Miami. Uh, you know, to the point where uh, they were, the media was talking like, this is why you hired Billy Napier. <laughs> and uh, well, that didn't, that didn't happen. By the way, I, 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 I didn't intentionally wear this gator colored shirt today. Uh, huh? But anyway, <laughs> maybe I'll say, I wanted to go a little brighter colors today, I guess. Well, uh, speaking of recruiting, JC, how about the Carson Hobbs and his decommitment uh, and then turn right around for Notre Dame? I know it's not quite that, Crazy for a kid from what Ohio, I think, and, and mm-hmm. feeling a pull from the Irish. But uh, hate to see him. Hate to see anybody leave the twenty twenty four class. Yeah, especially him. He's going to go up in, in mm-hmm. his ranking and all that. But you know, I, I said the other day, you know, about uh, Cincinnati Moeller, where, where he, Archbishop Moeller, where he plays. I mean, dude, when Notre Dame offered, I was like, hmm. <laughs> That's going to be ominous because, <laughs> I mean, that's where Gary Faust, uh, Notre Dame hired Gary Faust out of the high school ranks from that high school. They have a long, long not, 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 a, not every Molar kid goes to Notre Dame, so go to Ohio State or whatever, but they have a long history there. Uh, it's closer than South Carolina. Um, it stinks from the standpoint of, hey, if you can get a guy from a place like Molar in Cincinnati where, you, you, you know, you haven't recruited – a whole lot more power to you. Uh, he's a really good player, uh, but I think the Gamecocks will be fine recruiting secondary guys. Uh, but in, anyway, that's it. Uh, Jafaller comes in. Happy 247th birthday, USMC. Thanks for the show, guys. Go Cox and Semper Fi. That's right. Thank you for your service, sir, and happy birthday to the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Rick says, I was at the Wisconsin Citrus Bowl, the Whiskey Citrus Bowl, but the Clowney Bowl is the most memorable. And, yeah, I mean, just so many, like, iconic play. And the way it went right down to the wire uh, in that one was was interesting, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just the back and forth in that game. And then, you know, you're, 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 Connor Shaw was injured, and you had to put in a, a Dylan Thompson there at the end. And, then you know, and Carolina – in that game, Carolina had blown a lead. Ace, Ace Sanders had a big punt. I mean, they, they were throwing bombs and returning punts for touchdowns. I, had, I thought they were going to blow Michigan out. Well, then here comes Michigan back, and then uh, there was that one of the worst calls I've ever seen. Stop that wasn't, yeah. And then, and and then the ultimate ball don't lie play right after that. Yeah. I mean, it's like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, that, that, that spot would have gone if Carolina had lost that game, that spot would have gone down in infamy. Yeah. But Mm Jadevi and Cloudy just took it upon himself (laughs) uh, to, uh, 
knock Vincent Smith out, and mm-hmm. and then we're and then Phil. That play was awesome. The hit was awesome, but the fact that he then recovered the football with one hand and had he just had a little bit more balance may have taken may have housed that. Yeah. Like like if he hadn't been falling down when he if he did he probably if he did the only thing that would have made that play better is if he would he'd have hit the guy, scooped up the ball with one hand and trucked toward the end zone. Yeah. I mean that that was that that was that play was the talk of college football that entire offseason. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. the Gamecocks replaced Brad Loring with Deke Adams and you know, Clowney effect Clowney affected the games the next year, but I think he only hit three sacks. So yeah. uh, but that was his best year, his sophomore year. He was really, really good. Really, really good. Um uh VJ says that Shaw Alshon toss to end the first half was crazy too. Yeah, uh, but that was in the uh, the Nebraska one. The Nebraska game, yeah. And that, I, I was actually there. Work. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually there. Nebraska was doing pretty well. And then that catch at the end, I think it gave the Gamecocks a 16-13 lead. There was a safety in that game. Um, really, uh, that game, I was impressed with the – because the Gamecocks had quite a crowd there. Uh, I was impressed with the number of Nebraska fans that were there too. Unbelievable. You, you talk about them being really good fans and they are, but you know, I having started following football, and, you know, being covered and looking at this program uh, in the eighties, uh, I kind of felt like the Gamecocks owed the Huskers one because yeah. there were two games in 86 and 87 that really like 86 Nebraska was like a 30 point favorite. Uh, Ellis, Todd Ellis is driving the Gamecocks down the field. And I, I listened to the game, Bob Fulton on the radio, it wasn't on TV. It's 27 24 Huskers. Ellis is driving down the field. He's like, Bob Fulton was like, call up, no interception. And, or no, yeah. oh, he's like, Carolina, yeah, Todd, no interception. Yeah, I, I, I can't do uh, Todd threw the ball. He didn't call the game. But, uh, <laughs> And then the next year, Ellis and Sharp and Bethay and those guys, they get up 21-13 in Lincoln, and then Nebraska outscores them 17-0 in the fourth quarter. And You know, Carolina scared the bejesus out of them. You know, I mean, you, you, Nebraska at the time was one of the best programs in the country. So uh, it was good. So I felt like the Gamecocks owed the Cornhuskers one. Um, you know, the Gamecocks routinely have beaten Michigan all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and then Wisconsin, and then Miami. Also, there was some history there because Carolina hadn't played Miami uh, since '87, uh, and that game was another one where Carolina uh, could have won. Miami won the national championship. That game was actually in the Orange Bowl after the Clemson game. It was one of those special games. Obviously, that was before you had SEC championship and all that. Uh, and my dad took us down, flew us down to Miami, and I remember. South Carolina played Miami in basketball at one of those holiday tournaments. See, this is why I miss the holiday tournaments. Yeah. Um, Miami played basketball in this rinky-dink arena that was part of like a Hyatt Regency. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> like you, a, like you, a small like Omni in, in Atlanta. Yeah, very, <laughs> whoa, way smaller. The micro, the Omni, yeah. the micro Omni. I mean, it, it was like the, the black box theater at USC Upstate. You just put bleachers in there and play ball. Uh, and there were more Gamecock bass because every everybody Gamecocks I think sold five thousand tickets for that football game. So they had a big contingent. Well, who wasn't going to go to the basketball game? So the bat so the Gamecocks had this gigantic basketball crowd for a holiday tournament. And I remember them chanting "Football's next, football's next." But you know what a great experience there. But 
Yeah, I feel like Carolina owed the Hurricanes a little bit too because after that, there was a fight during that game. It's it's on YouTube for those of you that are young and want to go look at it. Uh, Miami's taking cheap shots all day. They slammed Todd Ellis to the ground. Gamecocks lost by four. Uh, that was a better game than when uh, and Jimmy Johnson was the coach at Miami. Uh, Jimmy Johnson made the point because they played, I think, Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma or Nebraska won. I think it was Oklahoma uh, in the Orange Bowl for the national title uh, and beat them 20-7. to seven. That, They said the Carolina game was more climactic and, and exciting uh, than that uh, Oklahoma game. So that was a very good memory there, too. Uh, so anyway. <laughs> that, that's the deal there. Cynical Airy says since Tennessee's hooker gave Florida hell by extending plays, hopefully Rattler will get the boots and waggle plays so he can run around. Boots and waggles. I think it's important to get him out of the pocket. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, you're going to have to scheme that up and not just rely on, you know, breakdowns and protection to, for that to happen, at least, you know, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Craig Goodwin says, listen to a Florida insider yesterday, Craig. By the way, he said they're awful at defending big, strong tight ends. If we scout it correctly, expect Stog, Atkins, and Bell, unless he's playing running back, to have a big day. Ah, uh, yeah, Stogner didn't was one of the few guys. I think he had one catch for negative one yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that'll happen. Uh, Brian says Darius Rush had a 16 minute presser, and I'm convinced he's our most cerebral player on the team. How about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of guys that are. I mean, Devontae Reed's very – if you ever listen to him, he's very cerebral. But uh, I think Darius and Josh Van have a podcast. Uh, it's a good listen. Lady Bree says, hope all y'all are well. Um, Lady Bree says, hey, guys, I still need to know how you feel about me still participating in your show as I pursue my own. I didn't see this moving so fast, but things have accelerated due to Zach's mom agreeing to do an interview. Uh, have a premiere date to announce and all kinds of exciting news, but don't want to do anything you guys are not okay with on your show. Um, mm-hmm. hold on, let me see if I give any darns about that. Nope, I'm all out of darns. <laughs> no, no I, I can join anytime. <laughs> come on, join anytime. I mean, this this is not. I mean, look, Chris comes on our show and I go on his every week, and it's, we have an hour overlap, uh, which I wasn't aware of when I. I, I kind of wanted to slide into the JB and Goldwater slot and do something that made sense for Phil and I. Uh, and I, I didn't dumb me. I didn't even check to see if we were going head to head with Chris. So, uh, and it's all good. I mean, everything's fine. This, uh, this isn't the, the premium website business when you're talking about the Gamecocks and, and comp- competition and all that good stuff. I, I think I, I love the, what I call the Gamecock, a podcasting ecosystem or media eco or, you know, uh, content creator ecosystem, I guess. Uh, and that's all that's fundamentally different than the big spur.com because that, that's a news organization, uh, the big spur Gamecock central that we're news organizations with a community. Uh, this is part of a creator, a uh, creator community. And I think the more the merrier. Uh, and I wish you all the best on that. Really. I do. I really wish you the best. Uh, and so it's fine. You can cont- continue uh, to uh, hang out here. Uh, all you want, the more the merrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clint says, just got out of a meeting. How are we feeling about Saturday? I actually think we have a good shot. I'm probably going to um, pick the Gamecocks. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning that way myself. Mm-hmm. Leaning, 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 leaning Gamecocks right it, now. It, it, it may be a homer pick, but leaning yeah, that but, way myself. 
Uh, Zach we'll mentions uh, need 100 yards rushing. Carolina's 5-0 and when rushing for 100 yards or more. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? That little paltry, yeah. tiny bit of rushing yards. 100 yards. Means all the difference. 100 yards. One million dollars. 100 yes. yards. <laughs> that's that's the equivalent of it right now. <laughs> the game packs are going to rush for 100 yards. <laughs> anyway, when Lady Bree says I love you guys, Lance says I just love drinking beer and watching ball. So don't think a show is in my future. Well, we I felt the same that. way, Lance. That's exactly how I felt probably <laughs> a year ago today. And look where the hell we are now. <laughs> oh man, that's a good note to end it right there. Thanks to the Nana Sports chat box for uh, the participation. We have two mailbag questions today, or three that we got to get to. That we'll get to later. Don't forget, big guest show, Chris Phillips up next, high energy. Uh, and then uh, at uh, 12.15, we have uh, the guy from the, the bowl season, Caparelli, I think is his name. Nick Caparelli, is that right? Uh, Carparelli, Carparelli. Carparelli, Nick Carparelli. Uh, remind me of that before we go on, so don't mispronounce his name. Y'all don't want to mispronounce any Italian last names ever. Uh, just to, you know. Uh, and, then, uh, and then Jamie Bradford, who was supposed to go yesterday, joins us. All right, we'll be back after these messages. Chris Phillips here on Inside the Game Packs the Show. Just as your State Farm agent combines good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates, you can combine your home, auto, life, or small business insurance with Tony Pope State Farm Insurance today. And guess what you'll get? That's right, even more good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates. In fact, Tony Pope State Farm is your go-to agent anywhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, or Georgia for the service you deserve at the price you want. So try combining your home, life, auto, and or small business insurance today. Tony Pope State Farm has been in business for more than 30 years and can handle anything you need in the tri-state area. Once again, Tony Pope State Farm will help you mix and match perfectly. Call 843-851-2222 or visit TonyPope.com today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're a listener, you know I feel strongly that if you're in the upstate and are in need of real estate services, Cindy Searfoss is your go-to person. Searfoss of Caldwell Banker Kane uh, can help you with any of your realty needs right there in the upstate of South Carolina, Greenville, Spartanburg, Anderson, Oconee, uh, Pickens, wherever you are. Cindy can help you with that. She's married to a die-hard Gamecock fan, has been in the upstate for more than 35 years. Right there in my hometown of Spartanburg, Daniel Morgan Avenue. Contact Cindy, 864-414-5271 or email ccearfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at cbcane.com, C-B-C-A-I-N-E. That's Cindy Searfoss, a proud sponsor of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Check her out. We've already gotten several emails from listeners uh, that are very impressed with her professionalism and her ability to help you with your real estate needs. 864-414-5271, Cindy Searfoss of Caldwell Banker King. If you're looking to sell or buy multifamily property right here in South Carolina, the Burgesson team of Remax at the Lake can help you get to closing fast and easy. Adam and Derek Burgesson both are very proud Gamecocks and are more than happy to assist you with any of your commercial real estate needs all across the state. You can email Adam at aburgesson at remax.net. That's A-B-E-R-G-E-S-O-N at remax.net to get your next deal underway. The Burgesson team, proud sponsors of Inside the Gamecocks.
Attention golfers of all ages and skill sets. Former Gamecock golfer Meredith Taylor will be a full-time golf instructor in the Midlands of South Carolina very, very soon. You want to take advantage of this opportunity. If you're like me and you got to get a whole lot better at golf, or even if you're looking to refine your swing, Meredith is the person you need to go to. She's competing in her final USGA Mid-Amateur Tournament this summer before going full-time into teaching and coaching individuals. If you're in South Carolina, Meredith will be conducting in-person golf lessons at the Country Club of Lexington. Half hour, hour, on course. She'll play 9 or 18 with you. If you're out of state, though, this is really exciting. She'll be conducting virtual lessons. You can send in your swing for her expert analysis. Also, in November, she'll launch an online course with video instruction for all ages and skill levels. Meredith has 20-plus years of knowledge, former SEC golfer, all of that. So contact her on Twitter, at Taylor at M-E-R-T-A-Y-L-O-R, or go to McKellarEnterprises.org. McKellar is spelled M-C-K-E-L-L-A-R, Enterprises.org. Her email is on the website, so you can connect with her for any other questions. Go get your golf game in order. Take advantage of Meredith Taylor and her services. What's up, this is Jaheim Bell with the Gamecocks, and you're now listening to Inside the Gamecocks Show with JC and Phil. Welcome back to Inside the Gamecocks, the show, everybody. The first hour of the show is brought to you by Cindy Searfoss and the Coldwell Banker Kane Realty team over in the upstate. Give Cindy a call for all your upstate residential real estate needs, 864-414-5271. And we are joined now on the McKellar Enterprises guest line by Chris Phillips. Chris, how are we feeling today, man? I'm feeling pretty good, if you can't tell. How are we feeling, boys? Oh, man, you're looking good. Look at you. <laughs> well, so funny story. Funny, yeah. funny story. So we're, we're down here in Hilton Head. We had our event last night with our good friends at Carolina Cigars, which was awesome, and we had a good time. And I'm getting set up to do the show this morning in my Airbnb. Beautiful Airbnb, by the way, but the Wi-Fi just was not it, right? So I was like, we got to call an audible. We got to make an adjustment. Thought about doing the live show here tomorrow anyways, and I – Hit up my good friend Tom. Said, "Hey man, you you want to rock it today and tomorrow? So this is where we're going to be at in the next two days, man. But there are worse setups, worse situations to be in for sure. So yeah, yeah. but great to see you guys. How, how are y'all feeling? By the way, you, you can't. Tell. I'm not sick. I'm a little stuffed up though. You know, it's going around. How y'all feeling? I saw y'all y'all uh called off the show yesterday with a couple <laughs> couple sicknesses hit or what? I could talk about an audible. Yeah, it's nausea. Nausea is twenty four hour bug. I'm, I'm probably not." Hundred percent still today, but uh, you know, <laughs> it's that I, time of year, man, you got to power time. through. I mean, I, I mean, look, if, if I didn't have to, if, if, if we're nausea, for nausea, I, I'd have probably powered through. I just uh, couldn't do it. So, uh, anyway, Chris, uh, we'll talk a little basketball to start with. You, what were some of your impressions? Uh, if you watched the game Tuesday night, uh, uh, you know, thoughts about that. Thoughts about the game with Clemson uh, tomorrow. Chris is frozen up. Oh, yep. It's all right. It's all We're right. all good. By the way, in the Nanosports chat box, Lady Bree is, is is right about this spying thing. Spy, put a spy on Anthony Richardson. Uh, I think I think that's spot on there. Uh, I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the you know the, the thing. Step up, have a solid performance up front, and all that good stuff. So, hmm. <laughs> uh, internet sometimes is you know you it's, it's it. the must champ ghost like he says you know that all that. yeah, that's it exactly that's yeah, all right we'll be back like here in a minute oh yeah oh he's back let me put the let me no, put them back in there there you go the, the most 
mental issues than me. Nobody. Literally. Nobody. I don't know. Why uh-uh. I don't know why people tune in. I have. It's, it's just daily. Nothing compared to Michael Flint. Nothing okay. compared to Michael right. Flint. Fair enough. Fair enough. Every, fair enough. every, and it's, it's, it's awesome. We love it. You know, it, it's right. not a, it's not, but every, every episode, like his, his webcam will fall over. Uh, and he just Here, gets okay. up and goes, and the kids will come walking in asking him a question. I mean, it, it's it's every time he's on with us, it's like that. But but it's all good. So basketball, I was just uh, asking about the game uh, Tuesday. What your thoughts yeah. were, initial impressions, and then uh, moving into tomorrow's night's game with Clemson. The ESPN prediction machine actually says yeah. 55% Carolina will win yeah. tomorrow night. Yeah. I mean, listen, you're 1-0. and and uh... Yeah. <laughs> Closer than we all expected, but uh, yeah, a little bit closer than we expected. But great to see Gigi Jackson. You know, I thought Hayden Brown looked good, Michi Johnson. I think that's going to be the trio that carries this team, especially Michi and Gigi. Um, you know, I, I go into it with no expectations, guys. I mean, I really feel like you know, Lamont Paris, I look at it similarly to how we looked at year one of Shane Beamer. Uh, you're just kind of finding it, figuring out what you got this year, you know what I mean? And I, I think depth is the biggest concern for this team, but. Uh, I think they should have a good shot to beat Clemson, who's also kind of retooling and rebuilding, if you will. So I think they'll be fun to watch. It'll be fun to watch them grow and progress. And again, obviously, if we're being honest with ourselves, a little bit close. Preferred the other night, but uh, glad to see Lamont Paris 1-0. And I'm more so just intrigued to see what the brand of basketball is, you know, overall. It's not even so much about how many games they win and lose. And hey, I mean, you were picked to finish dead last. So if you do better than that, right, you exceeded expectations. So, um, but excited to watch Gigi, Michi. I think those are going to be the guys that carry the team. And, you know, my greatest as you get in a conference play is just the depth. I think lack of depth. But love what I saw from Hayden Brown as well. And, you know, I think they get a couple of these big men back from injuries. I think that will also help them tremendously. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited for what Lamont Paris is doing. Yeah, I think so. It looks like a, it looks a better brand of basketball from the fan yeah. standpoint. And I know uh, the folks that were not – uh, fired up about Frank Martin and his demonstrative uh, ability on the side. That, that's a, uh, the thing I got was breath, breath of fresh air, uh, you know, as far as like his sideline demeanor versus uh, Frank's and all that good stuff. Yeah. All right, so this game of Florida, you know, and, and I was talking to Mike Morgan the other day on our podcast, and uh, I think it's pretty much a consensus. You know, you got to find a way to slow Richardson, uh, not let him run all over you. I also look at it, Chris, and it's like, They've got some games this year where they've been able to run it with their backs pretty yeah. well. Etn uh, Johnson, yeah. they're they're really a good running football team. Um, that's not been the Gamecock strong suit, but uh, I also yeah. think at the same time, you know, there have been some games Kentucky A and M come to mind where the Gamecocks have yeah. been able to slow the run a bit. So, so your your take on that matchup? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been beating people over the head, guys, with this statistic all week, but I'll say it again. You know, Florida's 5-0 and when they rush for 210 or more yards. Four when they rush for less than that. Uh, so, obviously, the key for them is running the football. You know, I thought also thought what's interesting, uh, kind of a side note, South Carolina, of course, 6-0 and when they force a turnover, 0-3 when they don't. Florida has not turned the football over in their last three games. So, the Gamecocks will have to do something and force Florida to do something they have not done of late. Anthony Richardson has done a much better job, obviously, of taking care of them. But, yeah, I mean, the running game is their bread and butter, right? And you look at Richardson averaging 6.6 yards per carry. I think that's number one amongst all quarterbacks in college football. Spoke with Florida guys earlier this week. You know, the name that obviously stands out, I think, the Gamecock fans is ETM because we're familiar with his brother at Clemson. But they love the Johnson kid. They love the way he runs the football. So that three-headed monster in the backfield, man, I mean, I I think challenge for South Carolina. And, listen, it's 
it's it's interesting, right? Because JC, you mentioned Kentucky A and M defensive line took over. They were flying around making plays. It's hard to go into this one with a ton of confidence, though, after watching the Gamecocks get pushed around by Vanderbilt. Mm. So it's like which D-line shows up, right? So, um, I mean, the, the battle in the trenches like it is every week in the SEC, I mean, it's going to come down to. But South Carolina, on their side, should also be able to run the football because Florida can't stop anybody, whether it be pass, whether it be run, what have you. So I think both running games are going to thrive on Saturday, but uh, certainly slowing them down. Limiting, I'm sure you'd agree, JC. I know you love to talk about the quarterback run game. that They've got to limit, take something away from Anthony Richardson, right? You just can't let him do both. Um, get him back to early season Anthony Richardson where he's throwing the ball in traffic and turning it over. You know, I I think if he's at his best on Saturday, it's going to be really tough for South Carolina to get the W. Yeah, I I agree with you. You can't let him go crazy. And I I think just kind of with the nature of this offense, there's been some defenses at times that I wouldn't call great that that have gotten the best of Carolina going back to the Arkansas game. So uh, I, I think that, you know, Shane Beamer was a little bit more confident uh, in Marshawn Lloyd uh, playing this weekend. Uh, he, here's my concern about that, is if, if Lloyd plays, uh, are they going to kind of still try to do the same things they did against Vandy offensively? Because that seemed yeah. to get everybody involved, get them settled in. Uh, I think you could do it. I mean, I, I think I think you just give the, the carries you were yeah. going to give to Bell to Lloyd, and I think that could actually make Lloyd even more yeah. effective. I mean, we, we definitely want to see that creativity carry over, right? And it just felt like they were playing with a bit of a freedom, a looseness. Like, Lloyd being out, like you mentioned, JC, they were forced to do something else. Like, they think outside the box, right? So, um, you know, obviously you'd love to see, and it's funny, I've got SEC Network on in the background, and they're showing Shane Beamer and Billy Napier. <laughs> it's kind of ironic. But, uh, no, go down the field, stretch the field with Xavier Leggett like he did again, Josh Van, Antoine Wells. Let your playmakers make plays. I mean, it sounds so simple, but – at times, I think it really is. Again, Florida's given up 250 yards per game to the 80 on the ground. I mean, from people I've talked to, this is like one of the historically bad Florida defenses, right? So, I mean, you should be able to have some success. But uh, I know we've all got that pit in our stomach. It's like, is Sat going to turn back into Sat? Is the offense going to turn back into what we saw before? So, hey, this is a great opportunity, though, on the flip side of that, to continue build momentum. you got a couple of defenses – with Florida and Tennessee that, hey, those are tough games to win, but their defenses you should be able to have success against. So uh, great opportunity for Spencer Rattler and, of course, getting Marshawn Lloyd back, giving him those carries to Bell. I'm sure you guys would agree. I mean, I, I, I love seeing Bell get the touches, but I think he's definitely most lethal in the passing game, exposing matchups in that way. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I hope continue to see that creativity. You know, I'd like to see some more up-tempo, just spreading the field, though, getting it to your playmakers. Hey, Dak Joyner if it calls for it, right? You know, I'm not saying the guy should be QB1, but I just don't understand why when you couldn't move the football against Mizzou, he, he didn't even get a look. Like, why, why was that left in the in the chamber? You know what I mean? That, that was what was so confusing. So, great opportunity, though, to keep offensive momentum going or at least continue to – as we go into the end of the season. Yeah, you, you got to sit there and uh, attack uh, for sure, I think, with the, the balance. I, I kind of like Xavier Leggett getting carries from scrimmage, Chris. I think – yeah. I think that, that kickoff return has given him some confidence with the ball in his hands. You know, he's a big, fast kid. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I kind of liked him carrying it uh, on those end rounds and things, too, on, on Saturday night. Yeah, and, and side note, guys, you know, I think we should mention Xavier Leggett. I think that's one, been one of the – quietly one of the best stories of the season. You know, Xavier Leggett, a guy that – you know, I think most people just completely wrote him off after the SC State game. And, you know, a lot of people saying he should never play again, shouldn't see the field. And uh, that was not his best night. But the way 
he's going to bounce back and not just bounce back and play and have a catch here or there, but like he's made some game-changing plays, mm-hmm. right? The Texas A&M kickoff return, the first touchdown to really get it going against Vandy. So that's been a cool story to follow. But, I mean, yeah, guys, again, getting your playmakers on the field, if you want to use them as eye candy, you actually want to give them the ball, like why not? You know what I mean? Make the defense think, put them on their – Take advantage. Take advantage. These, these athletes can't do anything or make plays if they're sitting on the bench. So, um, you know, again, we hope to see that continued creativity for sure. Absolutely. I, you know, get back to the defense too. I, I, I think uh, one guy I did not think played bad against Vandy was Zach Pickens. I thought he yeah. was kind of really good. I think I think they were missing something at the other spots. Um, the linebackers, that, that's going to be critical. They have to play better than they did uh, with Vandy. And yeah. and then, you know, you had a secondary that was kind of a mash unit, uh, as Beamer mm-hmm. said, at the end. And that can affect your run game on the perimeter as well. But, man, I, I just think, you know, we've seen Sherrod Green have good games. We've had, I've seen him have bad games. He, he's been up and down. Uh, same with Brad Johnson. Uh, Brad, I thought, had a good game against Florida last year. I, I think that type of defensive performance where, you know, Carolina kept yeah. Emory Floyd and their their rushing attack. It was a different offense, right, but right. kept them from running the ball, 82 yards of, of rushing. You know, I, I think it's got it, – it, they, they have to be locked in like that game, like the bowl game against North Carolina. Mm-hmm. We've seen them do it. The question yeah. is, will they? Yeah, it's just what are you going to get, right? Because I've seen times where I think Sherrod Green's ready to take over as the leader of the defense and, and kind of be that guy in the middle, and there's other times he just looks lost, right, guys? I mean, it's just call it for what it is. But um, I, I would expect South Carolina to be on the, the attack defensively on Saturday. I mean, again, you have to stop the run to have any chance, right? you you got to make Anthony Richardson beat you through the air. And uh, you feel like that plays right into your hands, right? The secondary that I, I noted last night, that Torian Gray, I mean, the job he's done has just been incredible, right? You lead the SEC in picks again. And, guys, I'll tell you this. For this football team at this point, right, I, for everybody, right, we're going into game 10. I don't think you're going to reinvent the wheel here. You're not going to reinvent yourself as a football team. South Carolina needs to be opportunistic defensively. They need to win in special teams and pray to God they get enough on offense to score more than the other team. I mean, that, that's really what it's going to come down to, right? So, like, e- even if you're not, you know, if Florida's going to be able to move the ball a little bit, they're going to have some success, right? They're, they're doing a good job for them offensively. Like, but you just need to be at the opportunities there, man. And, um, you know, whether Richardson's willing to take a shot, throw it into traffic, or, you know, you got a free swipe at the football at Johnson or Etienne or, or Richardson or whoever – just being opportunistic, you know what I mean? But linebacker play, for sure. I mean, we've seen a lot of Stone Blanton, obviously. So, I mean, there's a reason they're recruiting that position so heavily. But like you mentioned, like Brad Johnson, he could be somebody to watch for and maybe Debo Williams. But you're looking for guys right now to step up at that linebacker position because you can't put it all in the front four, right? They, they need help at that next level. So, um, I, I would expect, again, Pickens to lead you up front, like you mentioned. But, uh, you know, Jordan Birch containing the edge, containing the quarterback run game, going to be pivotal on this one. Gilbert Edmond, both those edges, if you will. So, uh, the work cut out for him for sure. Cause again, this is a Florida team that has run the football well pretty much all year. Yeah. I guess Missouri, they went for 231 on the ground, uh, only 66 uh, passing yeah. yards to the air. That's, that's a good Mizzou defense. Like, that's a yeah. really yeah. good defense. Yeah. I'm curious to see what Missouri does against Tennessee. Uh, yeah. That's kind of a, uh, an interesting 20 and a half record. point dogs in that game. 20 and yeah. a half point dogs. Yeah. yeah. I think it's probably because Missouri can't. Dogs. I think the Tennessee defense is licking his chops <laughs> for that yeah. bunch. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, we'll see what happens. So, uh, our poll question today was about bowl games. And so, yeah. I'll take it out of memory lane here as we 
wrap up from 2011 to 2014. Gamecocks won four straight, uh, concluding with that Independence right. Bowl. Uh, so 2011 Citrus, 2012 Outback, 2013 Citrus, 2014 Independence. Which was the best one, in your opinion? You know what's funny, JC, too? I, I normally do see the poll questions you guys put out just because I'm, I'm looking at your Twitter right before we come on. So I, I did see it, and I was thinking about it just before we went live. And there's been some great ones, right? Like, I think the win over Miami super underrated just because that mm-hmm. season didn't exactly go how we wanted. But, like, that was a great game, right? The Farrow Cooper game, Dylan thompson Farrow Cooper game. Um, you know, 11's cool because it was the first 11-win season in school history. You know, you beat Nebraska. And I've heard some really cool stories about Steve Spurrier pointing to the Nebraska when the team arrived at the stadium saying, hey, you know, they've got all these trophies and championships and tradition, but it doesn't matter. None of that matters today. Like, I, like – Really cool pregame stories, but I got to go with 2012, man. The hits. I mean, 2012 had more I remember where I was moments in it than than many, many games I've watched for South Carolina. Like, the hit, game-winning touchdown pass, A. Sanders punt return. I mean, that was just a great football game, right, overall. So, um, and, and the hit, I think, would stand out as one of the most iconic moments in Gamecocks football history. So, I got to go 2012. The uh, That was the – the Outback, right? Outback? Yeah, Outback, cool. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got I to gotta go 2012 Outback, man. That, that, that game, just, I mean, that was an all-time classic. Yeah, I, I think just the, the individual uh, game, uh, plays and memories and that one. Not, and it wasn't just the hit, you know. As you mentioned, I think Nick Jones had a big touchdown pass early. There yeah, was the A. Yep, Sanders punt yep. return. Uh, Dylan Thompson comes off the bench on the final drive. I mean, yeah. I mean, that, that was just a, Wild. and you know, you know what's crazy about it all folks out there. I was actually, uh, working in, uh, covering recruiting for 24 seven sports nationally. I was in Los Angeles and listening to the game on ESPN radio. So I missed all of those moments live. <laughs> oh, I had to go oh, back and watch. Yeah. Dude, I, so- I remember, dude, I remember the hit. Running out of my living room like a like a child, dude, screaming. Yeah. Just couldn't believe it. I, you know? I, 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 I heard it, and I, you know, until I saw it when I got back, uh, it was just uh, it wasn't necessarily uh, you know something that registered as much as it did uh, right. at the time. So, all right, you're giving a prediction uh, tomorrow on the show. Uh, you got any leans for us? Yeah. I- yeah, I'll save it for tomorrow. I I will be honest. I'm leaning the Florida way, especially after I just read. I didn't realize that Florida had not turned the football over in three games. So you can look at it one one of two ways: either they're due, or <laughs> or you know they're they're doing a much better job protecting it. And you know, I, again, I think the recipe for similar for South Carolina special teams, opportunistic defense, and you know, just enough offense. Again, this should be a great opportunity for the offense to score. I think the Gamecocks have got to score thirty plus to win, though. So I think it is a shootout. I'm leaning the Florida way. Again, I, I will save the prediction for tomorrow. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm leaning Gators. And at, and at home, guys, we haven't talked about the Swamp. You've only won there twice in your history. Yeah. That, and, and, you know, so, really. To insinuate that it's, some, that it's some easy place to play is 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 a fallacy, right? So. Yeah, it, it's been strange. I'll never forget the 2018 Florida game. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Who could forget that what one? What was it, 30, 31 to 14, 14. I think, and you lost? Gamecocks are rolling. Felipe Franks shushing his own crowd. All Florida (laughs) did was run the ball, too. I mean, they just lined up and said, you're not going to stop it. Disappointing day, my chap said, just an excruciating loss. And I was like, I bet it is. I mean, that one hurt him. You could tell that one hurt him because he wins that one. He's 2-1 and against the Gators uh, in his third year. 
there's not the Mullen hype that offseason. Right. It may have been Carolina that had gotten a bigger bowl game, but they lost. And that was kind of, you know, another one of those red flag games about that era. So, uh, yeah, I oh, think yeah. Yeah, the, the Swamp's a difficult place to play. I think it's a lot harder at night when they've got a big sellout crowd. And, you know, some of their earlier kickoffs are not as, you know, loud. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think it's a, uh, it, it, it's a, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I think you do have to respect that home field um, and all that. So, all right, Chris, yeah. well, we appreciate you joining us today. I'll, I guess I'll see you here after, after this show and uh, join you and uh, looking forward to that. Yeah. JC, Phil, always a pleasure. Great talking ball with y'all and JC. We'll talk at one fifteen, my friend. I appreciate it. Right. Thanks so yeah, much. Talk yeah, soon. Chris Phillips live on uh and it's live from Hilton Head. From Hilton Head, nice. Yeah, I love it. My, my, my granddaddy, uh, my late grandfather, he passed in 2017. He uh, he used to call Hilton Head the end of the earth because it was it's the end of South Carolina, you know. And he, he's always yeah. like, he always had a lot of interesting stuff to say about Georgia too. He's like, that was he tell jokes about Georgia people. About this old Georgia boy, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so he never liked to leave our state. You know, he called that the end of the earth, uh, Hilton Head, South Carolina. So, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree with Chris and, and the whole narrative about the run game. The thing that I get though is this: I think, I think when you look at the Florida defense and and, and, and throw away the, the fact that it's whatever this offense is supposed to be schematically or whatever. South Carolina has enough playmakers to put points on the board. Yeah. Especially if Marshawn Lloyd plays in the game. It is effective. You know, the, the Florida's given up over six yards per play. AM went up and down the field on them. Yeah. Uh, missing and, 18 of 18 guys. And, and, and I, Haynes King was a quarterback, you know, believe it or not. I think that the Gamecocks are, are you know, when you look at the stats, Gamecocks are middle of the pack defensively in the SEC. Uh, I don't think it's a great defense. I think, obviously, what happened in Nashville was embarrassing. But I almost think it serves to maybe get those guys' attention on that side of the ball a little bit and say, hey, you need to tighten up or, you know, this is going to be a winnable game that, you know, you're going to blow because you can't stop anybody. Heck, if I were Shane Beamer, I'd show them the film from 2018. See what yeah. they do? They're just going to line up on you and run over you. This is what she, can happen. Yeah. She's just going to run over you. Uh, by the way, the head ball coach has some T-shirts out there, uh, half garnet and black, half orange and blue. It says the head ball coach bowl. Uh, and I mentioned this on the show previously. He, uh, Because Mark Stoops is now the winningest coach in Kentucky history uh, and past Bear Bryant, you know, Bear Bryant used to be the winningest coach in Alabama and Kentucky uh, for a long time. Well, now Spurrier is the only guy to ever do it at two power five schools. That's right. The only one, the, the last man standing, two winningest coach at two big programs. His, his quote was, so get to see my game cuts coming here and play against my Gators. Uh, I'm sure he'll have a Gator shirt on. And I'll remind everybody before we get too sentimental that after last year's win by South Carolina, 40 to 17 over Florida, he called it in, he said it was embarrassing. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, I don't know. So that's, uh, that's one of the things there. Uh, Brent talks about that Outback Bowl, which, by the way, it's it's actually the poll is less close than I anticipated. Um, I thought that uh, I thought maybe there'd be a little bit more. Chris was right about that Independence Bowl being a little bit uh, underrated, but I thought maybe there'd be more sentiment for you know beating Nebraska that year in Alshon's last game, or 
beating Wisconsin and Connor Shaw's last game. Nah, uh-uh. that's that game with the hits and the passes and the fun. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, that, that was kind of the best. That was that as far as like big moments in the Christmas right. That was the best game uh, and all that. Seventy six game back says, "Be nice to see our offense put it together against Florida, who isn't great on defense." That's true. Uh, South Carolina should be able to score. I mean, I'll tell you this. If if Marshawn Lloyd is playing and if Carolina can run the football and maybe throw it to the tight ends or whatever, as he mm-hmm. mentioned, you know, that keeps, what, Florida's offense off the field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so they've, that- they've come on in the past few games, so it's like you're going to have to – and it's good training for what you're going to have to do at home the next week because your game plan – two Saturdays from now has got to be keep the ball out of their hands. <laughs> I, I have not even thought about that game plan yet. No, I mean, that's uh, that's the only thing I can think of, that, that both sides of the ball just need to be focused on keep the ball out of their hands. <laughs> and if you look ahead to Tennessee, though, the problem is Tennessee's run defense is 11th in the country. I know, yeah. It's they're, like they can still stop you that way. You know. They're 11th in the country in run defense and 101st in total defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so maybe you do have to. I was, I was surprised that see Alabama was able to run it on them pretty good. I, I was surprised that they went out and went bombs away uh, to begin with. Um, I, I think with Tennessee, you just can't do one thing. You know, if yeah. you want, if you want to get first downs, because their defense is really good. If you, if you're one dimensional, they'll tee off on that. They're they're fast and you know, they got a lot of guys that are experienced and things. But you know, you, you got to do both things, but. You know, you've also got to be aware that if you can almost score too fast in, in those situations mm-hmm. uh, and all that. And then defensively, I don't know. Uh, I'll be curious to see how Missouri plays them this weekend because that's a good yeah. Missouri defense uh, as well. So um, Zach says Florida's defense is weaker than Wellwater. <laughs> Joey says if South Carolina replicates the offense that was at Vandy plus Lloyd, they will win versus Florida. I don't see a reason why you don't. I mean, Marcus Satterfield in this press conference, it was another interesting one this week, but he's not going to give away the game plan. Uh, I didn't like the the Missouri, oh, we didn't run enough plays. Yeah, well, yeah. Anyway. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that's very curious. I'm going to run – 110 plays. 100. <laughs> it's an evil playbook. It's evil. I'd love to give it to him a thousand times. Yeah, you know, yeah. thousands. I just we're all one thousand carries. One thousand carries. One thousand. Come, ah. comes, come, Mister Bigglesworth. We must <laughs> go to a break. <laughs> Dude, that's a heck of a name for a cat, Mr. Bigglesworth. That's Mo Hardesty. <laughs> Mo Hardesty's Mr. Bigglesworth. Come, Mr. Bigglesworth. We must devise an evil running back rotation. Let's put Tonka Hemingway at running back. That's right, yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll be back after these messages. Don't forget, we, we've got uh, Nick Carparelli. Carparelli. Nick Carparelli from Bull Season coming up. Uh, 12 15. Uh, and then our boy, we love him, we appreciate him being flexible coming on with us today. Jamie Bradford at the bottom of the hour. We'll be back after these messages. It's inside the Gamecocks, the show. If you're a listener, you know, I feel strongly that if you're in the upstate and are in need of real estate services, Cindy Searfoss is your go to person. 
Sear Voss of Caldwell Banker Kane uh, can help you with any of your realty needs right there in the upstate of South Carolina, Greenville, Spartanburg, Anderson, Oconee, uh, Pickens, wherever you are. Cindy can help you with that. She's married to a die-hard Gamecock fan, has been in the upstate for more than 35 years. Right there in my hometown of Spartanburg, Daniel Morgan Avenue. Contact Cindy, 864-414-5271, or email ccearfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S, at cbcane.com, C-B-C-A-I-N-E. That's Cindy Searfoss, a proud sponsor of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Check her out. We've already gotten several emails from listeners uh, that are very impressed with her professionalism and her ability to help you with your real estate needs. 864-414-5271, Cindy Searfoss of Caldwell Banker Kane. If you're looking to sell or buy multifamily property right here in South Carolina, the Burgesson team of Remax at the Lake can help you get to closing fast and easy. Adam and Derek Burgesson both are very proud Gamecocks and are more than happy to assist you with any of your commercial real estate needs all across the state. You can email Adam at aburgesson at remax.net. That's A-B-E-R-G-E-S-O-N at remax.net to get your next deal underway. The Burgesson team, proud sponsors of Inside the Game. Gamecocks. Hey man. Hey man. Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Yes. He takes forever to call me back and doesn't always respond to the requests. Yeah. Same here. I'm paying him good money. I constantly have issues and I'm worried he's not backing up my network and securing it properly. Oh, I feel that man. My head hurts, but I have a good lead on a good idea. I'm calling your boy, Matthew Odom today from Heritage Digital. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in making sure your IT network runs like a dream. If you have one or 500 employees, it doesn't matter. They do it all for one monthly fee and have clients from South Carolina all the way to California. Yeah, I heard that monthly fees low too, so I don't know why I didn't even think of that. Uh, Do you have 843-699-1001 as Matt's contact number? Yeah, man, I sure do that. Or you can go to heritagedigital.com. Man, I hear they do a no-cost assessment. Boy, this will help me. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) I'm getting all that and encouraging everyone else to do the same. Heritage Digital, 843-699-1001 or heritagedigital.com, a proud sponsor of Inside the Gamecocks, the show. Family vacations, a new car, a new boat, all cost money, but you don't necessarily have to make more to afford any of that if you can save cash that's flying out the window now. iHelp Consulting can help you finally get the kids to Disney World, upgrade the minivan, or drop that new boat in the water next summer. Let Daniel and iHelp Consulting consult with you. No fees, just savings. You pay them a percentage of those savings. Save on essential services, credit card fees, you name it. Let them find it. These folks are incredible. iHelpConsulting.com. How can I help you? Hey, folks. JC here. I've told you about Nana's Porch over and over again. They sponsor our chat box on the show. Uh, don't take my word for it, though. I wanted you to hear from Gamecock pitcher Noah Hall about our sponsor, Nana's Porch. Nana'sPorch.com. Go there. Food, truck, catering, whatever you need. Uh, take it away, Noah. What's up, Gamecock fans? This is Pitcher Noah Hall. If you want some delicious food for your event, I suggest visiting nanasports.com today to find out what they all have to offer. It's really good Southern cuisine based out of Charlotte, my hometown. I hope you guys go check it out. Go Cox and go Nanas. Yep, time to get back to the show. Shoot. All right, my man. 
Welcome back to Inside the Gamecocks, the show, everybody. J.C. Sherford and Phil Mullinax. Second hour of the show is brought to you by the Burgesson team at Remax of the Lake. Give Adam or Derek a call. Shoot him an email at a Burgesson. That's A-B-E-R-G-E-S-O-N at Remax.net for your commercial or investment real estate needs. All right. Back to the show, J.C. Sherbert. As Phil said, I don't know why I had to repeat that. Just like hear my, hear my own name calls. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an evil name. Now, like, okay, so I was thinking about Mr. Bigglesworth. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, and we're kind of, we have to uh, suspend illusion here or suspend reality here a bit because it's, it's the previous step. All right, there was a guy, I don't remember his name, Matt something. Uh, he was Roper's signal guy, right? And the only he, he's the one that signaled in the plays and he wore this yellow hat. And jumped around. It's kind of a goofy, goofy dude. I don't. I, I didn't hear anybody say anything bad about him for the previous step, but I never heard a whole lot good. They're just like, ah, it's Roper's guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he would be the perfect Mister Bigglesworth in, in a Marcus Satterfield Doctor Evil skit. <laughs> Come, Mister Man in the Yellow Hat, signal in the play. Like we're gonna run one million plays. <laughs> 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 um. <laughs> Anyway, Clint says he's crossing the fingers for the Gator Bowl. I'd like that. I'd like that. Yeah. Uh, Crager says Tony thinks Lloyd can play but may not be 100%. Why is the board called Plano's PPG? You know, I'll lean towards that, but I'll say this. Marshawn, you know, hopefully he's not, you know, because he wasn't 100% against Missouri. I still thought he was effective until he just could not go anymore. Um, hopefully he still runs with that rhythm and confidence. That That's what would concern me. You get into the game, Marshawn's not getting it done just because he, he's not healthy, uh, mm-hmm. but you continue to try, and then he ends up with one of those games where he's like nine carries for 22 yards. Yeah, he's in and out. He can't get a rhythm. Yeah. You know, it's like, if he's hurt, hold him back. You know, I mean, you don't – you have plenty of other talent on that side of the ball. Yeah. The, yeah, and we saw that last week. So Play here's back. what you got, and don't risk – because you got two real big games coming up after this. I mean, you know, that season's not over. So <laughs> I'll Play say, yeah, exactly. Uh, why is it called Plano's PPG? Some people in the chat room are talking about it. Plano. Uh, Dan was his name. He, he's a uh, he kind of got this whole thing started on the internet with the Gamecocks, along with a guy named Ear Coop, um, who started shoot. Fighting Gamecocks Forum back in the day, which was a prelude to Gamecock Central. Uh, Plano had a recruiting page called Plano's Page Three. Um, Plano was getting up in the uh, up in the years, and uh, I'll never forget it. Uh, you know, he was a great poster, probably one of the best Gamecock message board posters of all time. I mean, asked good questions, had good info, gave insightful opinions, was not was polite. You know, was critical when he needed to be. It always made sense. And so uh, uh, right before him, the Muschamp era started, and he, he kind of liked the Muschamp era. You know, he was – he liked the way he recruited and stuff. Um, it was right before that Thursday night game at Vandy. I think it was on a Monday, and he said, uh, guys, I'm ending dialysis uh, treatment. I will not be revived. And then he said, love the Gamecocks. And he passed away a day later, and I just felt as the owner of the site that uh, that's something we should do. And I talked to John Whittle, and uh, gosh, I don't, I don't remember who else was with us at the time. Tony was there, and Tony and all that. And we 
we decided it was PPG was the Palmetto Proving Grounds, uh, and that was our that was our name of our board when we first started the Big Spur. Uh, I think it was we took it from the practice facility, right? Um, and so we just changed it to Plano's PPG uh, after that in honor of him. I don't know if you know his wife or anybody was aware of it or his family, but uh, we certainly uh, you know I, actually it's funny you say that because I I was actually thinking about him a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, Dad's just like man, Plano. Uh, it's been a long time, and you know here here's this other era now, and you know when he left this earth, you know he he never the last coach he saw coach a game was Sean Elliott. Uh, but the last head coach to start of the season with him was Steve Spurrier. And, you know, we, we always kind of talk about things not being the same around here. Uh, on the internet, it's not the same, but yeah. without Plano. And so that's why. That's the deal there. Um, 76 says, Ugh, makes me sad. I remember most of this. Um, <laughs> Brett has something funny. He's like, I hate him. I hate him. I hate him while stomping high heels in the phone cord, not even plugged in. <laughs> no grandma didn't get it while wearing high heels and the phone is unplugged <laughs> okay. um, so anyway there's the deal there uh, kind of a, a we're going between uh, comedy and, and sadness uh, right now um, the uh, we have three mailbag questions I'm going to go ahead and get to the one that we featured on TBS today uh, it comes in from Tristan and he asked me, uh, how much of an impact do you think the loss of Mokaba, Jordan Strong has had this season? Uh, I said, I think it's been significant, not necessarily because Gilbert Edmond and Sherrod Green aren't good, uh, but Kaba has explosiveness and all that. And, and I think Strong could have contended for SEC honor just because he's such a good pass rusher, right? Um, not saying that the defense wouldn't have had any issues. Uh, it, it would have been this, you know, wall of game cocktail you know, uh, with those two, but you certainly miss them. And, and, and Phil, here's where I think you miss them the most. Uh, it's not that, you know, it's, it's kind of more about what's behind Gilbert Edmond and Sherrod Green. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Brian Thomas Jr. out there as a true freshman on one side. Stone Blanton's another true freshman that's behind Green now. Uh, whereas if Edmond and Green were kind of the number twos, uh, that would have been a heck of a rotation. So, you know, I, th- I think it's a depth issue uh, yeah. more so. Uh, than anything. I mean, obviously you miss that talent, but then when you're talking about having to give snaps that Edmund and Green would have normally gotten to true to, to, to true freshmen, uh, that can be problematic on certain certain plays. So um, that's the deal, uh, you know. And I, so I think that's it. But I appreciate the uh, question coming in from Tristan. Here's another one from Pipe Man, Michael. Reading through Tony's thread tonight regarding the type of OC we're looking for, I would really like to see Rattler come back another year for another go. I've heard mixed things on that, so I don't know. I, and, and I'm going to continue to say I don't know until I do because I, I, I think that's just something that depends on a lot of factors. Pains me to see his skill set go to waste on horizontal passes behind the line. You're about to set Phil off here. <laughs> he hates behind the line passes. He can't stand that stuff either. Yeah, no, that's all right. I'm, I'm, I, we saw we saw a different game plan last week. Let's hope it continues. Yeah. Well, we do throw the ball past the line. It's always four step, five step drop back passes. Ah, yeah, that that four or five step drops will get you beat these days in college football. Uh, if you do, if you go to that well too much, it's never two three step throws in the middle of the field. True, and I don't understand that either. With the right OC, if we can keep playmakers at receiver, I think Rattler would thrive the way he looked in 2020. 
I don't know if he's ever going to look like he did in 2020 because nobody played defense in that in that year, and he also was playing in the Big 12. Yeah, um, it was a completely different animal of a league here. <laughs> man, do, do I think he sh- could and should have put up better numbers? Yes. Do I think he could be a heck of an SEC quarterback? Absolutely. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm dead sure I remember you and Keith talking a few years about about how undersized Tonka was coming out of high school. Maybe I misunderstood, but he looks pretty large on TV. He must have put time in the weight room. Either way, the guy's been fantastic this year. Uh, yeah, well, he was because he was like 255. Because uh, he's a multi-sport athlete and doesn't train and gain the weight for football, he plays baseball. I think he's a pitcher. Um, but it was always known he was going to put it on, um, and that's why I never sit there and go when a kid's skinnier. It, it's not about size for me when you're a recruit. It's about frame uh, because if you're six two, one hundred sixty-five pounds, and you can play at six two, one ninety as a DB or a receiver, you're going to be pretty good. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's the one thing they can put the weight. You'd almost rather have Phil somebody that's uh, lacking weight because you can add weight uh, than maybe signing a 365 pound offensive guard. And you got to slim that bad boy down. I mean, you know, and that's that's tougher. That's tougher to do with those big guys. I mean, I'd rather have frame. But yeah, no, Taco was at 305 last year. So he's he's plenty big and he's playing. Uh, very, very well. I mean, look at that daggum catch he made. <laughs> what an athlete. You, you could tell he's a three-sport athlete right now yeah. after we've seen him this year because he's just, I mean, he's just so versatile. He can do whatever you ask him to do. I tell you, what should be coming next is Tonka as a decoy on special teams. Oh, you know, yeah, I agree. Yeah, take yeah, it out yeah. to him. Mm-hmm. Find some, Somebody else will be wide open because I guarantee you, uh, Florida and everybody else, we're talking about South Carolina special teams, they're going to sit there and go, Watch out for 91. Yeah, 91. Yeah, 91. <laughs> yeah, so that's the deal there. All right, we have our guest in yet, Phil? Not yet. I will let you know when uh, Nick drops by. Sweet. Um, Foosball is the devil, especially for a Gamecock <laughs> fan at times. <laughs> uh, Zach fun. says, if Tanner Bailey doesn't play next year, he will transfer. I don't think that's accurate. Not right now. Um, you know, Zach says Taco looks a lot smaller than Pickens. Not sure who is lying about their weight. Well, Pickens is a bigger guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know that anybody's lying about anything. Um, several, blah, blah, blah. Several will, Zach, if Rattler comes back. Yeah, I just don't know that Tanner Bailey is going to be one of them. I think uh, there could be some other guys. So, um, I think Tanner really likes it here. So, Bacadino podcast is my bad guy, but thanks for the response. I'll just add that every week is different in football because we struggled against Vandy. Doesn't mean we'll struggle against UF. Uh, I don't know if they responded to me or not because <laughs> I, yeah. I I saw them earlier. But that, that's the truth, Phil. I mean, and people a lot of times, I don't understand why people don't get it. You know, it, it's just like, man, you know, just because this happened. I, I think it's more about the matchups and – when I've been right this year on picking games, that's kind of what I've looked at. It's the matchups. Yeah. Uh, I picked Vandy. I, the Vandy guy picked 31 21 because all Vandy could score. You know, I, I, I thought the Missouri game, Carolina would play better on defense and maybe get a little bit more offense. Uh, so it's wrong about that. But AM and, and Kentucky, I, I think the formula for this team and this offense this year has been 
the other team not having a good defense, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> the, the bad defensive teams they've played, they've, they've been all right. So yeah, we've been able to exploit some uh, some some good matchups. So hopefully we can take that into this week too. I don't know. It's just because there's another narrative that this team is inconsistent. You know, game to game. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think it's true. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's true. But you know, a lot of teams are. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you kind of look. Look at the look at the Ole Miss defense. You know they were yeah. rocking and rolling, and one of the most improved units in the in the conference. And then about after the first quarter at LSU, they decided to stop playing defense at Ole Miss. They were like, oh, like ah, we don't think we're going to play defense anymore. <laughs> so Zach says Tonka's at two ninety five. Pickett's at three hundred five. Tonka looks at least twenty pounds smaller. Might just be Pickett's stomach. So I was out. Yeah, be careful about trying to guess weight. Uh, that there's a reason at the county fair they they do that and people win money so yeah. you know and, you'll uh, think we've got uh, we've got nick with us now jc all right Thank let's him. let's get him on in let's see, let's see here awesome joining us now on the meredith mckeller enterprises guest line is nick carparelli of bowl season good morning nick well afternoon rather how you doing today i'm doing great how are you guys doing? Great. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, Nick, tell us about bowl season. I know this is kind of like a new brand that kind of popped up here a couple years, a few years ago or something. Follow it on Instagram. Good stuff. I'm, I'm a bowl game fan and all that. But just kind of tell us overall kind of what bowl season is all about and what you guys do and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, there's really two parts to bowl season. There's the public-facing side, and then there's the internal organization. So, I mean, bowl season, as we've known it for a long time, is that – that great three-week time of year in mid-December to late January where we can watch 43 bowl games and, you know, turn on the TV between, you know, on a Wednesday between Christmas and New Year's. Don't even know what bowl game we're going to find. We just know we're going to find one. Uh, it's going to be, you know, a great matchup and, uh, you know, occupies a, a very prominent place on the American sports calendar and people look forward to it. You know, in terms of our organization, you know, we, we help to market and promote uh, bowl season and the bowl system collectively. You know, each of the 43 bowl games have done a has done a great job for a long time building their own brand. But uh, the, the group came together two or three years ago and said, you know what, we need to we need to pull together and, and, and promote ourselves as an entity, you know, much like leagues do and in, in, uh, in college and professionally. It's, a, you know, March Madness. It's, it's not identical, but it's a it's a time of year and it's a brand in and of itself. And, you know, we we. Uh, you know, we didn't outsmart ourselves. You know, people have called that time of year bowl season for a long time, so we adopted that moniker, and 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 here we are. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about with the expanded playoff coming and all of that. That you know, a hey, bowls are maybe on their way out. You got players opting out, but uh, you know, I have some friends that work for ESPN that kind of keep up with all this stuff. That the TV ratings are still compared to college basketball that time of year. The the, the bowl ratings are are off the charts. Um, I'm kind of of the opinion that's a false narrative. I, I think bowls are going to continue to, to to move forward and and be a, a part of this game. And I think it would be sad if if that wasn't the case. Um, you know, talk about kind of the health of the bowl games and kind of the the where where it fits in in this ever changing world of college football with expanded playoff and all that. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I'm I'm glad you asked that. You know, first of all, the playoff is awesome. You know, I'm a college football fan like everybody else. Uh, and college football needs a great mechanism to crown a national champion. 
but at the same time, you know, even if it goes, you know, it goes to 12 teams as they've planned, you know, I don't know if it could ever get much bigger than that, asking these kids to play four extra games before they entered the draft. I mean, you know, I think there's going to be some problems with that, to be honest with you. But um, there's 130 FBS institutions. None of them are created equally. To have a, to have a postseason system with only 12 opportunities, there'd be a lot of people not doing their job, you know, and, and bowl games have been given – been giving you know uh, programs that are trying to rebuild programs that are trying to to rise and build you know some of the newer programs we're seeing um and and everything in between you know when when these teams and these student athletes have successful seasons they need to be rewarded for that and the bowl season provides that every other sport in college athletics they you know we're, we're in basketball season now you're going to see teams going to the maui classic and the bahamas and all these other things they go on foreign tours in the summer you know football teams can't do any of that so you know bowl season is, is kind of that type of event for these student athletes it's also a reward for a successful season it affords them extra practice time extra exposure helps them build the program so so yes the college football playoff is one thing but we have to we have to stop with the narrative that if a bowl game doesn't factor into the national championship picture that it's not meaningful because it's it's quite the opposite yeah, I, 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 you know, you look at South Carolina last year, the the, the Duke's Mayonnaise Bowl, and, and I think, you know, South Carolina won the game and, and, and did it pretty well. And they played a team that is an old rival of theirs in North Carolina, and it was in Charlotte. But, it, you know, I also think that the Mayonnaise Bowl people did as good a job of anybody, as anybody at promoting their game. I mean, my goodness, their Twitter account's great and all that. Um, and so it was meaningful for them. I think it was meaningful for Arkansas to win the Outback Bowl last year. I think, you know, some of the teams that are in group of five, they get a shot at power five teams like a Houston beating in Auburn last year. It was big for those schools. So I'm, I'm right there with you on that. Well, South Carolina fans, you know, they, they, they got bowl eligible and a lot of talk about the Gator Bowl, maybe the Las Vegas Bowl, you know. Uh you know, do you, do you? I know, I know. You don't know where they're going, but uh, what what do you think in terms of those bowl games tied to the SEC? Because I know the SEC, ESPN, everybody has a lot of say uh, in where they're assigned. But you know, what does a team really have to do, in your opinion, to get to the Gator Bowl? I mean, is it you know uh, what's uh, what are the factors that you see behind the scenes in terms of bowl selection? Well. You know, first of all, there's there's a lot of football left to be played. You know, three more games. South Carolina is six and three. Uh, you know, regardless of where you aspire to go in your bowl lineup, there's a big difference between nine and three and six and six, right? In terms of where you go to a bowl game. So, you know, South Carolina has to keep taking care of their business, which they know. Um, the SEC's bowl lineup is interesting. You know, after the CFP and the New Year's Six, the Citrus Bowl gets to select next, and after that, they have a pool of bowl games: Gator, Las Vegas, Liberty, Music City. Uh, the old Outback, which is now the ReliaQuest Bowl in, in Tampa, and then the Texas Bowl. You know, SEC has the luxury of having that group of six bowl games that are very similar in terms of the quality of the opponent, you know, the stature of the game, the payout they get. So there's really no need to slot them three through eight. There's a lot of uh, common sense that, that at least they try to use common sense. You know, don't send somebody to a bowl game that they've been to last year or recently don't have repeat matchups. Um, but it's a big puzzle. You know, the, the SEC does it as well as, as anybody, Commissioner Sankey and Mark Womack's a great friend of mine. They'll, they'll sit down with their, their member institutions when the, when the final standings are done, they'll sit down with their bowl partners and they'll kind of piece it together and see if, see if they can uh, uh, use some common sense. Now it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes it's an unsolvable puzzle and 
you end up having a team go go somewhere two times in a row. You know, one of the advantages with the with the Duke's Mayo Bowl, Las Vegas Bowl partnership is it's every other year. So that's you know, Duke's isn't even in the lineup this year. So that there's no no chance they can go to the same place two years in a row. But a lot of factors involved, a lot of football left to be played. Um, I do know South Carolina is a great option from a fan base standpoint. Um, and uh, obviously they got a good team this year. So any bowl would be lucky to have them. Las Vegas Bowl, uh, a lot of people don't realize that because uh, the first year of this new deal was during the pandemic. I don't think there was a Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, kind of talk about the SEC getting involved. Uh, you know, you don't see very many SEC Pac-12 matchups these days. There's, there's some scheduled in the future. Uh, but getting out there and kind of having your brand in a West Coast market, especially a great destination like Las Vegas, um, you know, kind of speak to how that came about and, you know, uh, what the thought process was to kind of get the league, uh, you know, kind of reaching beyond its footprint uh, to send a team out for a game. Yep. That's, that's a great question. So the SEC historically has kept their bowl opportunities uh, within their, you know, somewhat within their footprint. Um, obviously with the exception of, you know, national championship games and things where the destinations are set. Um, the Las Vegas bowl was a little bit of an experiment on their part. Uh, and, and as we talked about, they weren't all in. It's only two of the two of the four years. You know, the other two years is in Charlotte. Uh, so I think you know their their athletic directors, their coaches said, you know, let's let's experiment with this a little bit. You know, conferences are becoming more national in nature. Some of them very much so. Um, <laughs> the SEC is at least at least contiguous still. You know, there are some conferences that have big gaps of land in between member institutions, but. Um, you know, I think that's an interesting experiment. How, how, how well will SCC fans travel to Las Vegas? It's certainly a fun place to go. If you're going to experiment with a bowl game outside of your footprint, Las Vegas is probably a pretty good place to try. Yeah, Southwest Airlines, just about every airline, uh, any major airport in the South, even the minor ones, you, you, you can get a flight out there pretty easily. And, you know, there'll be some people that take their RVs out there, I promise you, like Cousin Eddie style for vacation. But, um, yeah, so, so that's really good. Well, uh, Nick, we really appreciate you joining us. Um, you know, that's one of those things where when you look at the expanded playoff and all that, uh, I actually look at it and, and see there's going to be more bowls involved on a yearly basis now. Am I correct in saying that? You'll have all six of the New Year's Six hosting some sort of round every year, correct? Yeah, yeah well, I mean, you're right. The more will be involved for sure. I, I'm not sure if the CFP has determined – if it's going to be those six, you know, involved in, in all yeah. the games every year, if there's going to be some new bowls coming in uh, to have a bite at that, but but no doubt. I mean, currently the semifinals are held in two games, two bowl games that rotate, and then the championship game is, is a standalone. Uh, it's going to be a similar, you know, formula, but, you, you know, with the quarterfinal round, there's going to need to be four other bowl games in a given year that uh, are involved in the playoffs. So that's exciting. Yeah, it is. All right. Oh, well, Nick, we'll, we'll talk to you closer to uh... – probably closer to bowl selection and all that. Appreciate you joining us and uh, best of luck. I think you guys, guys do great work with bowl season. Enjoy following all your stuff. Excellent. Thank you guys. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Nick Carparelli from bowl season. Love that. Yeah. Love that. Uh, 76 Gamecock says not a fan of Birmingham. Me neither. I don't know why they have a bowl in Birmingham to be honest. Uh, but you did make a point. Uh, any other bowls way more appealing, particularly the surroundings. I don't like that stadium. Uh, I will remind you, they moved the Birmingham Bowl. 
Uh, UAB has a brand new stadium. It's smaller. It's quaint. It's about 35,000. About the size of Ole Miss's stadium. Oh, jeez. <laughs> always make fun. I mean, oh, Ole Miss is bigger than I said, but, but it doesn't look that. But Ole Miss, because they got like bleachers stacked on it. It's like weird erector set. Yeah, it is, it is strange looking. Yeah. <laughs> somebody told me one time, this old Alabama fan goes, there's five A high schools in Alabama with better stadiums than Ole Miss. <laughs> And I went, and I was like, man, you're true. I mean, it, you know, Mississippi State's got kind of a – almost looks like a smaller Williams Bryce style looking one. But Ole Miss is just kind of like, all right, hey, man, let's put some bleachers over here. All right, hotty toddy. <laughs> Can't beat the scenery there, too. Anyway, uh, 76 says he appreciates Nick's info, good info, and understanding of the workings. Yeah, and I wish we had a little more time with him, but – we kind of had to reschedule Jamie and all that good stuff, but it, it's good to get him in and talking about it. And you know, the bowl season thing is interesting. And I, I, I am pro bowl, pro bowl. <laughs> now that that's something that went away finally. That they needed to kill that thing. They need to oh, take yeah, that. That, that oh, thing man. needed to get shot. Take it out to pasture. That's <laughs> a horse with a broken leg there. Yeah, it uh, was. So thank God. And see, I think too, Phil. When they expand this playoff, the perfect time to have the college national championship. And they're sitting there talking about, oh, we're still going to have it on a Monday or whatever. Man, why not just wait till that week between the NFC and AFC and the Super Bowl? And they're like, oh, the kids. <laughs> and whatever. That, that's gargly goo bull crap right there. Yeah. I mean, they're um, used to practicing anyway, so just keep yeah. practicing for another week or two. <laughs> Zach says Gator Relia Quest, which is the Outbacker Music City, would be nice. I'm for look, man. I'm for this. Gator or Vegas? Gator or Vegas? And you know, it could be that there's an inside the Gamecocks the show live from Las Vegas. Hey, live from, Las, yeah. live from Las live. Vegas. <laughs> Phil could dress up like Frank Sinatra. It'd be awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I have no Wayne idea. Newton. Wayne Newton. Yeah, there you go. Wayne Newton, baby. Uh, Joey says, JC is White Campbell played the past couple of games. Don't remember seeing him this past weekend. Yeah, it's hard to catch him. I don't know if he's maybe played special teams or not. I'll check on that. I did see uh, him on offense for at least one play this past weekend. I did against Vandy. Just, yeah, just one, at least one I can confirm against Vandy. Yeah, I mean, they may, they may, who knows? They may not be. Who knows? The, the, these little packages that are actually work, they <laughs> – a lot of times you don't see him. <laughs> uh, last year, the Trey Jones fullback package, I thought it worked pretty well. You just never saw it. Um, 76 says, I feel as though I'm the only soul on the planet that has yet to make an appearance in Vegas. No, um, no I have I, not been to Vegas myself, 76. So I not. did not. Get, first time I went was 2011, 2010. 2010, because I was in Las Vegas, and the same day Alabama played South Carolina and the Gamecocks beat them. Because uh, Alabama was playing South Carolina, Clemson was playing North Carolina on the road, and I put a hundred dollars on Bama and a hundred dollars on North Carolina, and then I was like, I'm either gonna be happy or happy. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love bets like that. <laughs> uh, and I was, I was sorry, not North Carolina, Clemson. I bet on Clemson yeah, to win yeah. and Carolina to win, yeah. and I'm like, either be happy or happy. So, and Lance mm -hmm. says he wants the Gator Bowl for nostalgic reasons. Yeah, when I was a kid, man. Yeah, I'm leaning Gator too because it would be great. The way mm -hmm. I felt when they lost to LSU in that Gator Bowl in '87, a, a, a bad, bad taste in my mouth. So, mm -hmm. nevertheless, anywho, are we, we got Jamie teed up? Yeah, we, we're ready to go, man. Let's hit All the right. break and come back with JB. 
JB after these messages here on Inside the Gamecocks the Show. If you're looking to sell or buy multifamily property right here in South Carolina, the Burgesson team of Remax at the Lake can help you get to closing fast and easy. Adam and Derek Burgesson both are very proud Gamecocks and are more than happy to assist you with any of your commercial real estate needs all across the state. You can email Adam at aburgesson at remax.net. That's A-B-E-R-G-E-S-O-N at remax.net to get your next deal underway. The Burgesson team, proud sponsors of Inside the Gamecocks. Attention golfers of all ages and skill sets. Former Gamecock golfer Meredith Taylor will be a full-time golf instructor in the Midlands of South Carolina very, very soon. You want to take advantage of this opportunity. If you're like me and you got to get a whole lot better at golf, or even if you're looking to refine your swing, Meredith is the person you need to go to. She's competing in her final USGA Mid-Amateur Tournament this summer before going full-time into teaching and coaching individuals. If you're in South Carolina, Meredith will be conducting in-person golf lessons at the Country Club of Lexington. Half hour, hour, on course. She'll play 9 or 18 with you. If you're out of state, though, this is really exciting. She'll be conducting virtual lessons. You can send in your swing for her expert analysis. Also, in November, she'll launch an online course with video instruction for all ages and skill levels. Meredith has 20-plus years of knowledge, former SEC golfer, all of that. So contact her on Twitter, at Taylor at M-E-R-T-A-Y-L-O-R, or go to McKellarEnterprises.org. McKellar is spelled M-C-K-E-L-L-A-R, Enterprises.org. Her email is on the website, so you can connect with her for any other questions. Go get your golf game in order. Take advantage of Meredith Taylor and her services. Family vacations, a new car, a new boat, all cost money, but you don't necessarily have to make more to afford any of that if you can save cash that's flying out the window now. iHelp Consulting can help you finally get the kids to Disney World, upgrade the minivan, or drop that new boat in the water next summer. Let Daniel and iHelp Consulting consult with you. No fees, just savings. You pay them a percentage of those savings. Save on essential services, credit card fees, you name it. Let them find it. These folks are incredible. iHelpConsulting.com. How can I help you? Hey, folks. JC here. I've told you about Nana's Porch over and over again. They sponsor our chat box on the show. Uh, Don't take my word for it, though. I wanted you to hear from Gamecock pitcher Noah Hall about our sponsor, Nana's Porch. Nana'sPorch.com. Go there. Food, truck, catering, whatever you need. Uh, Take it away, Noah. What's up, Gamecock fans? This is Pitcher Noah Hall. If you want some delicious food for your event, I suggest visiting nanasports.com today to find out what they all have to offer. It's really good southern cuisine based out of Charlotte, my hometown. I hope you guys go check it out. Go Cox and go Nanas. Hey, man, are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Yes, he takes forever to call me back and doesn't always respond to the requests. Yeah, same here. I'm paying him good money. I constantly have issues. And I'm worried he's not backing up my network and securing it properly. Oh, I feel that, man. My head hurts. But I have a good lead on a good idea. I'm calling your boy Matthew Odom today from Heritage Digital. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in making sure your IT network runs like a dream. If you have one or 500 employees, it doesn't matter. They do it all for one monthly fee and have clients from South Carolina all the way to California. Yeah, I heard that monthly fee's low, too, so I don't know why I didn't even think of that. Uh do you have 843-699-1001 as Matt's contact number? Yeah, man, I sure do that. Or you can go to heritagedigital.com. Man, I hear they do a no-cost assessment. Boy, this will help me. 
Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I'm getting on that and encouraging everyone else to do the same. Heritage Digital, 843-699-1001 or HeritageDigital.com, a proud sponsor of Inside the Gamecocks, the show. This is Braylon Wimmer, South Carolina Gamecock Baseball, and you are listening to Inside the Gamecocks, the show with JC and Phil. Go Cox! Welcome back to Inside the Gamecocks, the show, everybody. We're joined now by JB, Jamie Bradford. On the McKellar Enterprises guest line. Thank you for uh, working with our crazy schedule this week, JV. <laughs> oh, it's no big deal. I spent about uh, about 30 minutes on the phone with our dear friend Mike Morgan this morning anyway. He's just beating up on JC, so I got uh, I got plenty of time in. <laughs> yeah, there it was. You know, I, I, uh, I, forgot, I loaded our show, and I forgot to send a tweet out Tuesday. So I sent it out today. Hopefully, he doesn't think I sat on that bad boy for... 48 hours because I did, but uh, I got to catch up with Mike later anyway. Hope uh, Mike is doing well. Hope you're doing well. You look weird without a hat on, but uh, that's just. Uh, yeah, I came out of my uh, office and I said, oh, sh- uh, oh sh- <laughs> uh, I was like, Where, where's my hat? Uh, but <laughs> Yeah, I was like, that's, 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 that's a little different look for you there, JB, but uh, uh, good to be with us. Okay, so. Passing up the place. Hey, by the way, screw Wayne Newton. Tried to try to break up a happy home by you know getting between Clark W Griswold and Miss Ellen. I That's mean, I, I haven't liked him since Vegas Vacation came out. So screw him. I didn't like Vegas Vacation all that much. Russ, uh, I like them all. I, yeah, I mean, it just didn't. I, I just don't know how you could ever top Christmas Vacation. Well, after, you, you can't. You can't. But I mean, first, like you got to admit when when his when his arm was soaking wet from them trying to you know join the Mile High Club and he, and he said birthmark birthmark <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, that was that hilarious was I uh, yeah the egg making the, the, the <laughs> shoot yeah it's um uh, and then the the one with the is it Jason Sedak I don't know Sedakis no that's the other guy that was in um the Hangover he's the he's Clark's kid. Ed. Ed, uh, Ed, uh, Ed, what's Ed, his name? Yeah. Ed Grimley. No, not Ed Grimley. Yeah. <laughs> Something else. Anyway, that one was good and nostalgic and all that. But then, you know, because you had the first two and then Christmas vacation just knocked them both out of the water because it's just so, it was just had so much truth in that movie. Nick Papa Giorgio. Nick Papa Giorgio. Thanks, Bill. Well, when vacation came out, you know, one of my childhood girlfriends, Christina Applegate, I had to watch that. So, yeah, she's not doing too well. She's got MS. I know. I know. Ooh, I know. It makes me it's, sad. It's, and it makes me really sad. Probably I, the I hottest girl on television. And then not really good looking in the Anchorman and Anchorman's and then in that vacation and then just having a hard time. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers to Christina Applegate. Thank you for anyway. I'm not going to go. I turned this oh, thing on its head in a hurry, didn't I? Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, Krager says he saw three nights of Ween in Vegas, and not one person in this chat box has ever heard of him. I've actually heard of Ween. Yeah, I grew, I grew up in the. Come up, yeah, I know Ween. Do that again, Phil. Push a little daisies and make them come. There we go. We've heard of Wayne. We're from the 90s here. Don't do it. All right. So, basketball. We'll start with basketball because uh, Mm -hmm. I'll ask her. Speaking uh, of the 90s. 
Chris, our other yeah. guest. Yeah, but pretty good in basketball back then. Uh, your takeaways for, from Tuesday night uh, and thoughts about tomorrow. I saw the ESPN yeah. prediction machine. Thanks, Carolina's going to win. They beat Clemson in basketball. I do too. Um, but uh, thoughts and takeaways from that. Looks like a, you know, a lot of the fans have a real positive attitude about it, you know, because I think some of them were just ready for some change and something new. Um, you know, I thought they looked good. I mean, it was a game that could have gotten away from them, but it didn't, and a win's a win. Uh, your thoughts? Well, look, I, I thought, I mean, the game was closer than I than I personally thought it would be, you know, for a couple of reasons. But I, but I also kind of thought that this whole Lamont Paris era, the the beginning of the Lamont Paris era, was going to have some ups and some downs and some things to figure out. And um, you know, we talked to Bill Monday morning. We talked about basketball a little bit, and I mentioned to him. I said, look, I, and I don't think that I'm like giving away some big secret here. I hope most people understand this, but you know, GG Jackson is a 17 year old kid. He is not going to be the savior of the basketball program, at least right now. You know, does he have the ability to work himself into to being unbelievable? Yep, you betcha. Uh, he is that good. There's no doubt. But he's also 17 and. They've brought in a ton of new faces, so it's going to take some time to get things figured out, right? And and I personally believe that. Uh, first of all, I like the offense. Um, hey, if you got it, you're open, shoot it. You know, I, I like that. You know, basketball players today. I'm not. A, I'm not a. I'm. A, I'm. You know, I'm five nine. I mean, I've never claimed to be a basketball player by any stretch of the imagination. But but today's day and age, like you, you got to you got to be able to get your guys confident, and, and they got to be able to shoot. They got to be able to score. If you can't score, you can't win. And that was a lot of the problem under Frank, of course. So, yeah, I like that. Um, you know, I, I really hope to continue to see the development of Josh Gray down low. I think he can just be an absolute force in the SEC. I mean, he's a physical nightmare. Um, and um, so, yeah, I, I, I like what I saw. I really did. You know, I, I like the energy, and I just hope that tomorrow night there's a lot of energy in the CLA uh, to, to beat Clemson. Boy, that'd be a nice start for Lamont Paris, 2-0 with a win over Clemson, which, by the way, Props to both schools for playing this game, you know, when students are actually around um, because it never made sense to play in the middle of December when people were out for Christmas break. Yeah, it's kind of like you know, Florida State and Georgia, Georgia Tech both, I think, play uh, in November before the break and, and all that. And it's uh, they get some good crowds. Uh, Florida, yeah, it's a Florida rivalry. State, yeah, they actually play that in the night before the football game down in Florida. I agree. I, th years, I thought so. we should do that for a long time. I know students aren't necessarily there, but they'll everybody will be there. Everybody's in town yeah. for Thanksgiving. Because remember, Thanksgiving's a meal, not a holiday. Not here. According to no. Muschamp. Will yeah. Muschamp said that. Thanksgiving's a meal, not a holiday. Yeah, not, All not. right, Will. <laughs> that, yeah. that did not endear him uh, very well. Brent Brooks says what's going on. Gamecock Nation, and uh, lots of questions in here for you, JB, about the game hmm. uh, Saturday at the Swamp. Uh, you know, I think it's it doesn't take a rocket science to figure this out. South Carolina is playing another team that's not very good on defense. Um, they have the playmakers to score. Uh, I think the creativity or, or whatever you want to call it, like that happened against Vandy, the, that offense they were running, uh, with or without Marshawn Lloyd, I think they need to – you know, need to, uh, I guess, uh, keep that going and build on it. Um, I think the big concern is defensively, and I, I think it's a, a little bit of recency bias uh, that, uh, hey, 
you know, they didn't get off to a good start against Missouri, and then they kind of rallied. And then Vandy was just kind of a disaster on defense. And I, I know people were going in and out. They were hurt. I think Vandy's a pretty good offensive team. Uh, but you got to stop. You got to keep Anthony Richardson in the pocket. You got to find a way to at least slow the Gators' run. When they rush for over 200 yards, they're 5 0. Less yeah. than 200, they're like 0 and 4. Um, Gamecocks' chances to slow the Florida run. No, not right now. Uh, not good because, um, you know, last weekend, if you can't seal those edges, you, you can't stop the run. And, and when Richardson gets out there, you know, it, it could be a long day. I think, um, Skip, uh, Florida's defense has not been, you know, one of the better defenses we've seen out of the Gators, no doubt. Let's also let's also remind ourselves they've played Georgia, LSU, and in, in Tennessee, and and I think LSU by now has proven their worth, right, guys? So, um, you know, we know Tennessee has, we know that Georgia has. Tennessee hung almost forty on them, which is actually a low scoring day for the balls. Um, LSU put up forty five, and and uh, and Georgia put up forty two. So so those numbers are going to inflate what they've done defensively. A little bit, regardless of who else they've played. And, um, you know, last weekend, if you look at the score, 41-24, you got a couple of things to, to kind of consider there as well. I, I'm not saying that it wasn't an earned road victory in the SEC because I can't stand when other people try to make those excuses for South Carolina. Oh, this guy was out and that guy was out. Um, you, you go on the road and win in the league, you deserve credit no matter what happens. So Florida deserves credit for winning by 17 points. You, you do – though need to also have the conversation of AM have like 20 guys out with the flu and then also i mean have they have they just kind of tossed it in over there you know i mean i mean i, I just don't really know if i'm not trying to take anything away from them i'm, I'm not i'm really not at all um, because florida has certainly had their issues this year as well and, and that's what they're focused on we're focused on our issues you got your own issues it's fine but somebody has to win the game and um, and Florida had the least amount of issues, and, and Richardson was able to run it and throw it and things like that. So, I, I I don't. While it is an impressive road win, you know, I I don't know how much stock you really put into it. Here's the stock that I put in. We already mentioned to the run game. Florida has not turned the football over in over a month. Uh, October the eighth, the last time they turned the football over in that game against Missouri. So they they've they played three or four straight games without one. That's concerning. Carolina can't win without turnovers. They have to force turnovers in the game on Saturday in order to have a chance. Yeah, and then, and, you know, you, you can look at it two ways. Are they due to turn it over, uh, or uh, have they fixed it? And it is ball security a strength of this team? They're number one in the SEC in turnover margin. Um, so they do force their share, too. I, I don't think there's any illusion that Carolina can go down there and not at least be even in the turnover battle. Uh, and win the football game. Uh, that That's just my take on that. Uh, Florida on defense, you mentioned, you know, they're not very good, whatever. Uh, and they did lose Brenton Cox, who was one of their few, yep. you know, elite talents and, and all that. They still have Ventrell Miller and some guys like that. But uh, what they are is fast, Jamie. Always. <laughs> you, can be, you can be a fast defense and not a good defense. I, I'll still never forget 2017. And, you know, they come up here and they have an interim coach. I think Chris Rump's calling the defense for them. Jake throws three interceptions in the first quarter. And I think it's just because the, the, they had trouble adjusting to Florida's speed because when I mean, they got a lot of fast guys. They're a split second faster uh, than most of the teams you play in, in, in the SEC. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Look, Florida always – I think you say this often, JC. Florida always has players. It's not like they're depleted of talent ever. <laughs> like, they're never depleted of talent, actually. I mean, they might be – 
it might be a little loose at a couple of positions here and there, but I mean, you know, but they're always capable of beating pretty much anybody they play for the most part because just because they always have a bunch of players. And, um, you know, if things go right that day, you know, there's a good chance that their players are as good, if not better than yours. So um, this is this is a game. It's it's just crazy how it's kind of changed itself around a little bit. And I think for us, it's changed itself around more on the fact that, you know, no, it's almost like nobody really cares that Carolina got bowl eligible against Vanderbilt last week. Hmm. Like everybody still can close their eyes and watch what happened in the Missouri game. And 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 it's going to take another wasn't supposed to win it type game that they win in order to kind of overcome that, right? Because what happened after the Missouri game was everybody, and I'm not blaming anybody. I mean, I'm not saying I disagree. Like, kind of reverted back to, oh my God, this offense is just bad. Uh, that's why we lost the game, et cetera, et cetera. Fast forward to Saturday, and then you got on college game day four of the most respected analysts in the sport dogging South Carolina on national TV. Don't blame them. They're not wrong. And, you know, and then they go out there that night and they beat Vanderbilt. Well, nobody respects Vanderbilt. They haven't won a game in the league in like four years, guys. Like, I don't care how close they've been. I don't care that they've got better players. I like Clark Lee. Doesn't matter. They haven't won a game in the SEC in like four seasons. So nobody really cares. So it's it's now it's it's almost like they they have forgotten that the Gamecocks beat Vandy and got to bowl eligibility, and they're just blocking it out. It's like Missouri to to Florida. Wow, if we play Missouri again, Florida's going to embarrass us in the swamp. And then you add on top of that the fact that everybody knows what follows it. Tennessee could very easily walk into Williams Bryce Stadium and light up the night with orange. And then you got to go to the upstate and everybody clearly is very, uh, you know, aware of what could happen up there. It's been happening for a while around here, unfortunately. So it's not just the fact that there's it's like the fear factor right now for Carolina fans of if we go down and we do what we are very capable of doing, which is not playing well and get beaten the swamp. We're going to finish the season losing three straight games. So here we are again. It's another prove it opportunity for Shane Beamer, and it's also an opportunity to win their third straight game on the road. Yeah, that hasn't happened in a while uh, with, with all that. Um, you know, I, I, I looked at uh, Juice Wells, and, I, you know, I'm almost tired of talking about it because uh, we, we talked about uh, Jaheim Bell needing the ball more. He finally got it, played running back last week, got more touches, targets, snaps, whatever you want to say. I almost wish that we'd have gone on a crusade for Juice Wells because, look, uh, whereas, you know, Jaheim at running back is effective, probably better as a change-up guy, not your starting guy. But Juice Wells is elite, man. I mean, I, I, it seems like every time yep. – I mean, and especially the other night, you know, uh, he's hungry to make a play. He goes – not, he's not just – he goes and makes them, you know. Still only four catches <laughs> in the game. Um, I don't know how many times you got to throw it to him and he's got the least little bit of space and he weaves his way and scores a touchdown to realize you need this guy to get the ball more and not necessarily all the time behind the line of scrimmage. Um, I did think they did a good job of throwing it downfield to him a little bit more against Vandy. Uh, your take on juice and, and sort of his usage and uh, you know what your thoughts are on what they could possibly do uh, to get him more touches. 
Well, I mean, the first game of the season, we fired up this show the Wednesday afterwards, and I looked you both right in this camera and said, Juice Wells is your best receiver. <laughs> I saw that the first series of the year. Just watching him get off the line of scrimmage, I was like, oh, my God, this guy. Good luck stopping him. I mean, you could tell. You could see it day one. And and so, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of past the conversations of why doesn't this guy get the ball more and that guy get the ball more because we, we just go around it. And we're circling the drain with that every week. You know, there's really no point in doing it. Um, I will say this. Not, I mean, y'all know me. I'm not, I, I don't really try to ever pat myself on the back or anything, but. Did, didn't I mention to carry on joiner at quarterback last week right here on the show? You, you did? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, look, it's it's one – guys, he's a quarterback. Like, yeah. that's all he is. Mm-hmm. He's he's not he's not what everybody's tried to make him. I mean, he's capable of doing other things. He is a quarterback. And I, and I truly think that in a couple of years, if not sooner, there is going to be a conversation that stirs itself up on on here or God knows where, 107 by the game or whatever. Should he have actually been co- playing quarterback his entire tenure at South Carolina, and would he have been, or th- been better than all the guys that played in front of him? Now, I'm talking about Rattler. I'm talking about everybody that played last year and everybody that played before that. Obviously, like these things, we all have kind of memory loss from time to time, right? We remember what we want to remember, and we don't remember what we don't want to remember. But every time we've watched this kid actually get in there and actually give, be given the opportunity to play quarterback, not just run the football up the middle, something happens literally every time. And so at some point in time, we're going to have this conversation of if it worked every time he was in there, why the hell did we do it more? You know what I mean? Like, And I'm not saying like at the expense of Spencer Rattler because I thought he had an outstanding game last week. He is so good when you roll him out of the pocket. And, and on top of that, by the way, major, ma- as, as critical as we always are, major, major props and credit to Marcus Satterfield. And let me tell you why. Because early in the ball game, he did what was necessary to get simple, easy throws for Spencer Rattler. He moved him around. He got him comfortable, and he was able to let him go out there and hit a couple of easy targets to get him into the ball game and get him much more comfortable. Okay, that's not always the case. All right, and they do need to run the football in order to win. We all know that. But also, part of the 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 formula with Spencer Rattler is getting him into the game. And I thought that that Sat. I was talking to Flint about this last week. Uh, I thought Sat was outstanding early in the game and getting him comfortable and getting his feet underneath him so he could have a big night. So everybody can criticize him all they want to. I'm, I, I criticize him as much as anybody else does. But he was really, really outstanding there, and hopefully something similar comes along with it this week. I'm going to say putting the carry on in, and I'm with you. I After the bowl game last year, I started thinking, I was like, well, let's look at this kid for a minute. Okay, so I guess he saw some mop-up duty against Charleston Southern. In that game, he had a big run at quarterback. Uh, the Georgia game in 2019, he goes in and, you know, kind of saves the day. I mean, they didn't score or anything, but he didn't turn it over. Uh, he had some drive-extending plays, both with his feet and his arm. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, that helped melt the clock. I mean, Georgia was knocking on the door all day. Izzy McQuamu was not going to intercept two more passes, you know. <laughs> uh, chances of that are pretty slim. But um, 
you know, you, you sort of looked at it, and then, okay, all of a sudden, well, when's he a quarterback again full-time? Won well, the bowl game last year. He's nine for nine and was the MVP. Uh, and then the other night, you know, he, you know, on the big plate of juice, uh, you know, he gets pressure. He feels it. He rolls out, stays calm, finds his guy, touchdown. Um, and went three for four in the game, and and, and that right, opened up some run. juice there because that kid left his cleats on the field trying to get back and cover. No him. doubt, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, I think you know, in my opinion, you know, he is so much more of a natural football player when he's playing quarterback than, than when he's in any other position. Oh, yeah. I, I think inst- he helps. He's instinctive, man. Mm-hmm. He helps That's so what he much. Is. He's got a lot of natural ability, uh, and I almost think that it helped. Like maybe calm Spencer down a little bit, you know. When, when you Decarion goes out there, makes a big play, you know, uh, and that was after Spencer's touchdown. You know, and, and Spencer kind of settled in and had a good game. And I also agree with you. I think some of the things they were doing to get Rattler going early uh, are things they should have been done, doing all year. I mean, that, the way that offense looked, just structurally uh, attacking the whole field, spreading out the other team. That's kind of been the formula for me uh, most of the season. I know they picked they won five games before that without really doing it all that much, but uh, that's kind of been the formula for me. But I, I'm with you right there on DK. Um, so if Lloyd goes or not goes uh, mm. or doesn't go, I, I still think they need to not abandon what they did schematically against Vandy because I, I think that could be problematic. But even if Lloyd plays, if Lloyd plays, I think it's going to be even tougher to stop. Yeah, well, they got to run. They, they have to run the football. And last week, they 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 mixed a lot of dudes in with a lot of different things to try to get that done. And and uh, and they know that. I mean, they know that they have to run the football or they lose. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. So, I mean, they have to do it. You know, I, I JC, I think they're going to win. And and I, I and I think they're going to win because it just has this strange smell to this ball game. That there is, it's almost like it's time again for one more big play somewhere on defense or special teams. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, when you look at the numbers and stuff, there's not a lot to learn, except for I mentioned earlier that Florida hasn't turned it over in a little while. But, like, when Carolina is confident, they also win. And coming off of that game last week, there's some, there's a bunch of stuff that happened in the game that have given them some confidence. I do. I don't think it's going to be a pretty game. I think that there's going to just be a lot of boogered up stuff, and we're going to be looking around, going, "What the hell is happening out here today?" Kind <laughs> of reminiscent of, like you said, seventeen in in Williams Bryce Stadium. Maybe not that crazy, like the whole pick, fumble, 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 fumble thing. <laughs> oh, but yeah. um, <laughs> but but um, I, I actually I actually think that somehow, some way, after this game, we're going to be scratching our heads going, man, we might get our ass beat the next two weeks, but we have won seven games, and I don't know how it happened. <laughs> I, think they're, I think they're going to win. I really do. I think it's going to be somewhere – it's going to be tight. It's going to be somewhere in the 20s, and somehow they're going to get out of the swamp with, with another victory. Where, by the way, they've won a few times uh, since uh, Steve Spurrier came to South Carolina. Yeah, so they won there twice and sent Muschamp to packing and uh, – Sent Urban Meyer packing in a, in a different type of way, and uh, also uh, must should have won had a few a, more times on the ropes. Yeah, I mean, old wheat smoking Jarvis Moss back in 06. Yeah. Uh, 06 and twenty eighteen were the, just just brutal losses. Yeah, uh, to the Gators down there. You can go all the way back to two thousand when when the Gamecocks had them down with a trip to Atlanta on the line. Spurrier, the 
course, uh, they, he well, the cra- he adjusted, the cra- you know. The crazy thing is, I'd say in the last um, – well, I know in the last – I mean, unless I'm missing something here. I know oh, uh, 08 was, was a, just a nightmare. Awful. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the that was fifty six to six. That was a train wreck of, of train wrecks. But w- the, the craziest thing outside of that, like the biggest blowout in the swamp, was twenty twelve when Muschamp his offense didn't he didn't even have two hundred yards and they beat us by thirty three points. Florida had one hundred and seventy eight <laughs> yards. The Carolinas one seventy nine and they won forty four to eleven. It was the most the most much most champion victory in his career at Florida there. That's good. All right, Jamie, thanks for joining us today. And uh, we appreciate you. And that's glad you're feeling better. Yeah. Hey, uh, anybody ahead. that's listening or watching uh happy veterans day tomorrow to every single one of you. Thank you. This is one of my favorite days of the year, every year. And I always try to go somewhere and buy a veteran a meal or something if I can. So appreciate all of your service and uh, go USA. USA. So oh, birthday uh, of the Marine Corps today too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we love it. Lands- my landscaper Clayton is a former U.S. Marine, so I hope he's not cutting grass in this hurricane. I gotcha. All right, man. <laughs> Appreciate you, and we'll talk yep. to you soon. See you. Go Cox. That's Jamie Bradford who joins us uh, on Thursday this week instead of Wednesday, and we're about to wrap it up. Mac and Dino did make a good point to get Xavier Leggett involved. Uh, I think they need to keep using him like they've been doing, running, catching, whatever, because I think he's playing with a lot of confidence now. He's certainly big and fast enough. All right, so we've got some confidence. we got to get out of here. Uh, tomorrow, we have Flint Wando coming on, correct? We have Flint, and I'm still working on uh, see if any one of these Gator people want to come talk to us. I'm <laughs> kind of scared. Nobody's getting back in touch with me. I don't oh. think we're about as nervous as we are about this game. I feel All right, well, Gator or no Gator, we'll be with you tomorrow inside the GameCast Podcast. Don't forget, you can get this on Apple Pods, iTunes, uh, uh, Spotify. It's archived on YouTube, uh, so you can always go back and and check it out if you missed the live show. For Phil Mullinax, J.C. Sherbert, inside the GameCast Show, wrapping up on a Thursday. Talk to you tomorrow, folks.